Show, live here on ESPN Dayton. All right, everybody, happy Friday. Welcome in. Buckle up. I'm excited for today's next three hours as we head into a three-day weekend, Kev. How about that? I'm going to give a round of applause for the three-day weekend. I appreciate that. Uh, Now, I'm taking the round of applause back because we're going to be welcomed by a lot of snow come Monday. At least that's what the old, you know, forecasters say and, uh, you know. You just had to do it. I still blame you. <laughs> Me. From the second that you cracked on the air, that you said you and Shayla talked about how there was that you guys were that, you know in January, man, we may not get any snow. We may be lucky. We may not. Well, that's all we've gotten since. All then. downhill, man, and it's gonna be cold this weekend. So Valentine's Day, cuddle up, get some hot cocoa, get a good movie. Oh, it, you know, with that being said, you know, it is Valentine's Day weekend. So today, uh, coming up in a bit, we'll have our Valentine's Day theme segment coming up. Uh, we'll take a look at every quarterback in the NFL, and we're going to find out just how cozy they are, just what, how comfortable, what kind of relationship are these quarterbacks in <laughs> with their particular teams. We're going to just, we're going to take the pulse of how much are these quarterbacks going to enjoy their, their lover's weekend, the Valentine's Day weekend. How much are they loving their team right now? We're going to go through quarterback by quarterback and find out if, if they're married to their team or if they're the piece to their team. We're going to find out coming up here in just a moment. How about this? J.J. Watt, officially a free agent. The Houston Texans just outright released him. They have enough going on. They barely. I mean, you have a quarterback who, who has vowed that he has played his last game in Houston, and then you have ownership coming out and saying that he is a Texan, uh, that he is going nowhere, and that they're excited for next season. I mean, it's all lip service, but good for them. I think they actually might be buying it, but J.J. Watt on the free agent market is huge. The buzz today is that Although we don't know exactly where he's going team-wise, we kind of have an idea of what conference he's going. The AFC North getting a lot of buzz. Your Pittsburgh Steelers, mm-hmm. my Cleveland Browns, uh, everyone's Cincinnati Bengals team around here. Who knows? Bengals seem unlikely, but nonetheless, they should be in the conversation. But I haven't heard that team be thrown out into the mix yet. But we'll get into that. But I want to pick up with where we left off yesterday. We're going to get into the J.J. Watt stuff coming up here 10 minutes from now. Um, and real quick, too. This weekend, tomorrow night, UFC 258. Usman versus Gilbert Burns. I'm excited for that again. Now, you watched UFC. I watch it a little bit. I'm not a aficionado, but I'm a casual fan. So, Daniel Cormier, mm-hmm. I've watched him and Brock Lesnar. I've seen all their fights. Like, I'm a big fan of his, and he's going to be coming on the show coming up here in a bit. UFC analyst now, uh, retired uh, not too long ago. But UFC 258 coming up tomorrow night, 10 o'clock, will be the main fight. The prelims begin at 6.30 on ESPN+. And, uh, well, the prelims begin on ESPN+, Plus uh, at 6.30. Uh, but the main card, the big fight, of course, 10 o'clock Eastern on ESPN Plus and on pay-per-view, UFC 258, Usman versus Gilbert Burns, and we're excited to be bringing on Daniel Cormier coming up here in just a little bit. The former UFC heavyweight and light heavyweight champion going to be calling into the show about 4.10 is when we have him on board. So I'm pumped about that. Absolutely. We've never had a UFC heavyweight champion on the show before. Uh, so we're expanding our horizons. So there you go. You know, it's all about growth right now, and that's what we're trying to do, right? Trying something <laughs> different. Um, but I'm pretty pumped about this. All right. So Urban Meyer already back in the headlines for all the wrong reasons and not even officially a head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars for a month yet. And I can't tell if this is being overblown or not. I, I know, I'm not a fan of this hire. I think that anytime you make a hire that creates negative controversy for a position coach that is really not worth having this, I always say, is your position or are you worth the noise? Mm-hmm. And that's what I find myself asking today when it comes to Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer is no stranger to controversy. He is no stranger to being in the media coverage uh, of uh, on the wrong side, right? Uh, so he hires the former strength and conditioning coach from Iowa. Yep. And this 
must have just, I mean, he has his press conference yesterday. It was the, you know, everyone was pretty excited. They're like, oh, Urban Meyer's going to announce his full coaching staff today. We know that Anthony Schlegel, former Buckeye, uh, is a part of that. I thought it was pretty cool, you know, but he's been, he's been able to piece together a pretty decent schedule, or uh, non, I'm sorry, coaching staff. And all that everyone is talking about now is not who, who the entire coaching staff is, but when particular individual, the former strength and conditioning coach at Iowa, who was let go, who was basically paid a million dollars just to go away because Mm -hmm. over 50 players had come together and accused him of physically abusing players and, of course, using racial... Not, I don't. He was never accused of using the N word, but again, we we have to act like oh, the N word is the only thing that right. you could say that's going to get you in trouble. Uh, he had said a lot of racially inappropriate things, which led to his departure out of Iowa. Uh, he has worked with Urban Meyer in the past. They, the relationship goes back over twenty years. Mm-hmm. We all know why Urban Meyer left Ohio State, and sure, we could sit there and pretend that it was just all about the health issues. I think the health issues really kind of magnified. Due to the stress and the overwhelming negative media coverage that hit Ohio State that led to his suspension to start the season, um, Urban Meyer is one of those no-nonsense. He doesn't accept no-nonsense no from his players, and yet that last season at Ohio State, it was, all about his, no, it was all about his nonsense and his coaching staff's nonsense and the stuff that he overlooked because he genuinely looks at the people in his circle as his family, and he's mm-hmm. going to do anything for his family. And the overall headline of the Zach Smith stuff that happened Maybe was worse than what it actually was behind the scenes. If, if we're just talking about the, you know, the stuff that was delivered to his office, um, there were no official reports of whether or not he actually laid hands on her. But we do know that he that, that there was reports of abuse in the past, and that Urban Meyer continued to overlook that, continued to keep him on the staff. And I always say this for a guy like him. And for a guy like Iowa's former strength and conditioning coach, and his name is a Doyle. His name Chris is Doyle. Chris Doyle. So Chris Doyle, the former strength and conditioning coach for Iowa, now strength and conditioning coach for the NFL uh, Jaguars team under Urban Meyer. I just you have to ask yourself. It's not like this is one of the best offensive coordinators in the country, best defensive coordinators in the country. Not that I'm saying it's okay to bring someone on that's racially insensitive, Kev, but what I mean is, is if you are going to deal with all the noise, mm-hmm. if you are going to deal with all the backlash, if you are going to deal with all the negativity that's going to come from this hire, why a strength and conditioning coach? Why is this worth it? Why was a wide receivers coach in Zach Smith, or not even a wide receiver, yeah, it was a yeah. wide re- why, why a wide receivers coach? Why are you willing to risk everything for these positions that just aren't worth it. Now, I am not saying that it's okay to overlook it if they are a offensive coordinator or a defensive coordinator, but if they're a super big name at a particular coaching position, I get why maybe you would say, you know what, I don't care. We really need him. We really need him. Do you really need Doyle? And is all this noise really worth it? Did you really need Zach Smith? And was all that noise really worth it? That's what I find myself questioning Urban Meyer for right now. I heard Keyshawn Johnson talking about it on his show earlier today. It's whatever your opinion is of Doyle at this point, it doesn't matter. You still got to question Urban Meyer's judgment because he literally put this guy on the staff knowing that the backlash was going to be through the roof. And you got to just keep asking yourself one more time before I pass it to you, Kev <laughs> is it worth it? Is he, is the, a strength and conditioning coach? A guy that really no one had even heard of until he was in the, in, in, in the spotlight for all the wrong reasons. Is he worth it? Is having him on your staff that vital, that important, that necessary that you are going to go through all of this and already start things off awkwardly? Keep in mind, this isn't a roster that's already like finalized. You don't even know who your quarterback is yet, wink, wink. We kind of know who it is, but you've yet to even have him in an official practice. This is a roster that was purposely you know, destroyed to get to this point, to have the number one overall pick to start the rebuild. So 
you already are making your team, who I thought was going to be a kind of decent free agent destination with Trevor Lawrence and Urban Meyer and a positive buzz around the team. Now there's a negative buzz around the team that's going to make it difficult to go after free agents, and they have a lot of cap space, and you know they're about to you know draft Trevor Lawrence here in the next couple of months. But now I'm just like, again, anything that could make you irrelevant or make you relevant to the point to where they don't want to play for you, why risk it? Is he worth it? No, this just doesn't make any sense to me. I don't. It's like he didn't learn a thing at Ohio State, and that's the problem I have with all of this. Because I like Urban overall. Mm-hmm. I was pulling for him in this situation, but he just doesn't seem to get it. Tone deaf seems to be the phrase used since this was announced yesterday afternoon. Yeah, it's very tone deaf. And one thing I'll say about Urban Meyer: if you're in his inner circle, you're going to be taken care of. Oh yeah. Um, and I know that you know we had John Gibson on, former player for Urban Meyer at Bowling Green, and those are some of the things that he told me. Like, if you're in Urban Meyer's good graces, he'll make sure he takes care of you, and that's exactly what this looks like. I'm not sure that Chris Doyle needs too much taken care of. I mean, he did get his contract bought and out from Iowa. He still got a million dollars for that. So, you know, everything that's been going on with Urban Meyer dating back to his days at Florida, you know, we all seen the meme that came out about, you know, the percentage of players that were on that championship team that got arrested and everything like that. The the situations that he the small situations he had at Ohio State and then the big situation he had at Ohio State and everything like that. It's just exactly what Keyshawn was talking about this morning. I actually was in the car and I heard it. It is tone deaf. It is tone deaf about everything that, you know, this country's been going through the last four years or forever, to be perfectly honest. But it really magnified these last four years, especially this past summer with everything going on. You hired this guy and I'm with you. Like, we're not condoning anything, no, 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 yeah. any, anything mm-hmm. that anyone does as physical harm or verbal abuse to anybody. But at, if it's going to be somebody. It's got to be somebody that is producing. Like, knock on wood, not saying that he does does this, but, like, if it was an Eric B. Enemy, you know what I'm saying, it it would be like, okay, well, he is the offensive coordinator of the the last year's most high-potent offense. So, okay, maybe we can just turn a blind eye to this or something like that. But you're hiring a strength and conditioning coach. I mean, as many connections as Urban Meyer has, as long as he's been in the coaching game, you would imagine he could have his pick of the litter. He oh, could yeah. pick anybody to come coach for him. He could be, he could, I know Ohio State fans don't want to f- hear it, but he could have dialed up Ohio State and Coach Mick would have been there. You know what I'm saying? So I just think it's like that. Like, out of all the guys you could have chose with all your connections, you chose to choose him. It just speaks to, hey, I'm going to take care of my guys. That's what it sounds like to me. Four five seven nine four six four. The phone lines are officially open to you, uh, and I want your guys' take. Is this being overblown? I heard Max Kellerman today say, "Man, this is over before it even starts." I don't think it is to that level. Um, I'm just strictly strict. I am strictly speaking on Urban Meyer's just uh, tone deaf. It's just tone deaf. It's a horrible decision, and. I remember when he came out initially, Kevin, announced that you know he wasn't going to touch Ohio State's coaching staff. Uh, I remember saying, you know what, that's weak to me. I, I thought that was the first sign of weakness from Urban Meyer. We talk about loyalty all the time. We talk about how Urban Meyer's biggest weakness is he's loyal to a fault. He's loyal to a fault to where it impacts whether he plays the right quarterback. He's loyal to a fault to where uh, you know he, he lets things slide with certain players, not on the field. I mean, I think he holds, and, and again, I think he holds his players and coaching staff to a higher standard on the field than he does off the field. 
right? Like, he demands excellence. I hear that all the time. Urban demands excellence. Yeah, on the field. Mm-hmm. He wants hardworking men, great people on the field, but it doesn't seem like he has that same standard for who you are off the field. Mm-hmm. And it's one thing you could sit here and dissect every coach's staff and probably find one or two bad apples that can make them look bad. But the right. difference is, is when you talk about vetting guys, Urban Meyer just seems to have a pattern of vetting guys. I always hear him do these interviews where, man, they vet their men. They make sure that they're good quality men. Well, we hear a lot of coaches say that, but you seem to be one of the only ones that constantly has red flags popping up left and right that actually lead to disasters that blow up your careers and that blow up your jobs in certain, you know, situations. So I have a hard time defending this or backing it up. I don't think that this is a, you know, that it's over before it starts, like Max Kellerman alluded to earlier today. I don't think it's anything like that, but I do think it could be a pattern early. When, when Urban Meyer, said that he was not going to he was not going to to strip the Ohio State coaching staff of anybody. I was like, that's weak. If I'm a Jaguars fan, if there's anyone out there that's a Jags fan, uh, if I'm a Jaguars fan, I'm already pissed at Urban. I'm like, that's a, that's a weak move. You're the head coach of the Jacksonville. You're in the NFL. I don't care what your relationship was with Ohio State before. If you care more about their success than about your success in Jacksonville, then we don't want you as a head coach. Mm-hmm. Mariotti should have been the first. If, if, like I said, if there was going to be a controversial move that he was going to make, it needed to be going to rock the boat at Ohio State and taking Mariotti with them. Because Mariotti's actually the best. Like He is the guy that you want. And you settled for a guy because you were too loyal. Loyal to a fault. Because he was too loyal to Ohio State to go knock on his door to bring him to the NFL. He settled for this distraction, which has led to this. It might be forgot about. We're going to get closer to the draft. You're going to draft, you know, Trevor Lawrence. You're going to win five, six, seven games. He's going to look like a future MVP, and that's what we're going to be focused on. But for right now, is it worth it? I don't know because you may get past it. We may never revisit this again. But if it comes back to this, this is totally on Urban Meyer. Any in-the-locker-room distractions, on-field distractions that happen because of this move right here is 1 million percent on Urban Meyer. But Buckeye fans, I'm telling you, I know you loved when he said, oh, I'm not going to touch the coaching staff. That was a weak move on his part because, again, loyal to a fault, his loyalty to Ohio State has kept him from being a true cutthroat winner in the NFL, and that's the problem I have when it comes to that. On which you, he could have picked anybody. You know what I'm saying? It didn't have to be Coach Mick. That's what Keyshawn said. He goes... I mean, what's the gap between who he is and maybe the next available strength and conditioning coach? That's what coach? I'm saying. It's like, why him? Why That's do you need exactly him? exactly what I was going to say. Like, you could pick anybody. You're Urban Meyer. Even if you don't have the connection to that strength and conditioning coach, you're Urban Meyer. So they're going to listen. But you settle for this guy, your friend, again. And you know what I'm saying? That type of stuff puts you in a bad position. I mean, we've all been there. We've all had, like, part-time jobs in high school where one of your buddies that's not reliable asks you to put him on at the job where you're working. And you don't do it because you don't want his stain on your oh, resume. Oh, yeah, I talked to him. Oh, he wasn't in a good mood. I couldn't talk to him today. Oh, yeah, I gave him your resume. I'll, I'll, I'll talk to him about it. He said he'd get back with me. He never got back with me. It's- I don't know what to tell you, man. <laughs> yeah, and so we've been there. But in the Urban Meyer case... He's steadily taking their resume. He's turning it into the bosses. He's pushing for his guys to get on. And, you know, as many good things that he's done for his players and his former coaches and putting them in positions to succeed and everything like that, this one is bad, and we can surely name some other ones that have just been very questionable on his track record. All right, four five seven nine four six four. I'm not a fan of the decision of Urban Meyer to go about this. Uh, I, I'm I'm not uh, a fan of it at all. I just don't think it's worth it. Um, I'm not saying that you know you could be you could say and do racist things if you're an offensive coordinator who's really good, then you can overlook it. But all I'm trying to say is that if you're going to overlook something, why why is it? That, I mean, this is what's crazy about Urban Meyer. 
Like some coaches have been like Pete Carroll got destroyed for stuff with Reggie Bush, mm-hmm. a guy that I look at that if you're going to cheat, Reggie Bush is the kind of guy that you you cheat to get on your roster, and if you get caught, so what? I always hear Bobby Carpenter say, "Charge it to winning." That's kind of mm-hmm. how I look at it. But Urban Meyer, you're cheating with ugly chicks. Like that's what you're doing. Like if you're going to cheat, she better be hot, right? Like if you're going to cheat, she better be hot. And Urban's that's why it's he, called mess up. Yeah, like he's getting <laughs> he, he's getting his career messed up over. Wide receivers coaches. And, you know, the wide receiver coach at Ohio State is really, really good right now, so I don't mean to disrespect Mr. Hartline, but, you know, Zach Smith really was Zach Smith worth it? No. And is this guy, Doyle, from Iowa, worth it? No. The fact that Urban's willing to put his team in jeopardy over these random positions, it just doesn't make any sense to me. You can't I mean, it speaks, to it speaks to his loyalty, and it also speaks to the loyalty that his players and coaches have to him because he's sticking his neck out on the line for him. So, I mean... I don't think anything's going to happen. I personally don't think anything's going to happen. I think it's going to be smooth. I disagree with Max Kellerman 1,000%. I think everything's going to be perfectly fine with Chris Doyle. He's going to be on his best behavior. I'm 1,000% sure Urban Meyer talked to him like, look, I'm hooking you up. Don't blow it. And I don't think he's going to blow it. I think he's going to come in there and ready to work oh, and yeah. do his He'll job. He'll be walking in with his Black Lives Matter t-shirt. <laughs> I mean, he's going <laughs> to... He's, I think uh, he is going to be on his best white behavior. I tell you that much. I mean, he you're right, but like that's the thing. He's having to act a certain way instead of just being a certain way. Mm-hmm. I would rather have I would rather have people around me that are being a certain way, not acting a certain way. You shouldn't have to tell Doyle to act right. Correct. That's what you just see. What I mean? Yeah, well, yeah you're right. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing at all. You're right. I'm just saying he's going to be a, on his best behavior, and he's going to come in there and do his job and go home. And I don't foresee anything crazy happening because I'm, I'm sure Urban Myers had this conversation with him. Uh, so I, I, I hope nothing but the best for Herb. Even though I'm not like the biggest Urban Meyer fan in the world, people wreck me all the time when I say that. I know things that you guys don't know about Urban Meyer. I'll leave it at that. Uh, yeah, but the message board said that he's a really good guy, and you know that's he's a great guy. Great <laughs> no, coach. I know, I know, and he is and, like, and, 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 and it's all and it all goes back to him taking care of his own. And you know what? At the end of the day, when you do take care of your own, especially at the college level, you got kids that are run through a brick wall for you. In the NFL, I'm not sure how that plays. You might We're be the brick wall. Out. Exactly. Like you're going to be like. In college, you're going to have kids, like you said, that will run through a brick wall for you. Because he's bending over backwards, doing mm-hmm. everything in his power to put you in a position to reach your goals. And he does the same thing for his coaches. And that's great. But it's this one, I just, is it worth it? Like, is it worth it? it? I mean, like I said yesterday, I believe people deserve a second chance. And I believe Chris Doyle deserves a second chance. But... If I'm Urban Meyer, I'm just like, man, your second chance can't be with me right now. Or you can't be the lead strength and conditioning coach. You can be the assistant to the assistant, something like that. Yeah, like, yeah, like, I just can't put you in that position where I'm going to be ridiculed my first interview. Oh, no, I completely get it, completely get it. And, again, I don't, like I said, this particular situation, if he's hired, if Doyle's hired by any other team, there's going to be a little comment about it on a show or two here or there. And then you move on. But, but he wasn't going to get hired by anybody else. That, that yeah, and because it's Urban Meyer though, right? Is you know maybe not this year, but I believe at some point. Oh maybe, yeah, yeah, or yeah. Maybe not in the NFL, but the college ranks. He probably would have been swooped up 
you know, at some point. But all right. But uh, I wanted to open up with that just to get quick reaction on Facebook. Uh, Doug Morgan says, uh, what did this guy do? I missed the first part of the show and haven't listened to the radio today. Doug, uh, he was released from – there was a long investigation into Iowa. About 50 players came forward and, and, and talked about how, you know, the, the abuse from him, the verbal abuse, and that, you know, when I say physical abuse, not like, you know, beating the crap out of these guys, but constantly shoving guys, pushing guys to the ground, just stuff that you really can't – you can't put your hands on these guys. Like, we're not talking grabbing them by the face mask and, you know, that's probably not even allowed today either. But grabbing him by the face mask and pulling him around, we're talking about literally yanking them to the ground, shoving him to the ground. If, he, if they messed up on a play, he would walk up to him and literally shove him to the ground as hard as he could. He would do that kind of stuff on top of the racially insensitive jokes and comments he would make to the players. Um, if a player, if, if, a, if a black player would mess up, he would literally, the things in the report, I can't even say the things that he had said. He never said the N-word as if that's some, you know, as if, oh, well, he's fine then. No, the stuff he said was inexcusable. Uh, and it's just, you know, when Urban Meyer says we vetted him, that means you read the same report we did and you still <laughs> thought it was okay? Okay. All right, we'll be back in a moment. Uh, 457-9464. If you want to get in on this conversation about Urban Meyer, you're more than welcome. Uh, we have a couple calls on hold we're going to get to on the other side. We're going to transition to J.J. Watt. J.J. Uh, Watt right now, I mean, his name is trending all over social media. The Houston Texans announced earlier this morning that they are going to release the 10-plus year vet uh, and one of the best defensive players in NFL history and still probably in the NFL today. In fact, one of, last season was one of his better seasons. It's just it got overlooked because, well, they're the Texans and they were no good last year. But where does he end up next? Cleveland? I'm not just saying that because I'm a Browns homer, but I think it's a realistic landing spot and Pittsburgh seems to be making its way around too. Can we have a Watt family reunion in Pittsburgh. We're going to get to all of that on the other side of the break. More of the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash next. Charlie, call back. We are back. It's the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash. Luckily, I didn't say anything mean about Charlie because, you know, I almost had a Tom Brenneman moment there. I mean, the mic was on. Now, I didn't say anything dumb. I'm just saying, like, you didn't know the mic was on. So, Charlie, give us a call back. We'll get you back on the show, man. 457-9464. That's the number to call in and join in on the conversation. J.J. Watt. Ten years with the Houston Texans, three-time NFL Defensive Player of the Year, five-time first-team All-Pro, five-time Pro Bowler, Walter Payton Man of the Year winner. He had 101 sacks. Uh, you know, he, he had 61 passes defended, 494 tackles, 25 forced fumbles, three receiving touchdowns. <laughs> <laughs> three receiving touchdowns. Uh, <laughs> So there's that, but uh, arguably the best player in franchise history, of course, uh, for the Houston Texans, and they just outright released him earlier today. J.J. Uh, Watt on the free agent market, and now the fun part. You know, I'm glad we're not talking about quarterbacks for a change. I'm glad that we're <laughs> mixing it up a bit. Uh, but I'm sure we'll get there. Oh, I'm sure. Just give us time. But when, when I look at this situation, you know, J.J. Watt had a pretty good, had a very good year last year. In fact, uh, the Pro Football Focus uh, had him as a top five pass rusher last year. I mean, he he was healthy for once. My biggest fear about him and. And complaint even when I, uh, a friend of mine, Josh Innes, does a show in Houston. And, uh, you know, he constantly, every time I tune in to listen to him for a bit, he's always, you know, ripping Watts saying, you know, yes, he's a great player, but he's always hurt. Constantly hurt, always hurt. That's my biggest concern about Watt. Now, he was healthy this past year, so that's, uh, you know, hopefully he could stay that way. But now you just sit back and wonder where can he end up? Where does he go? 
and a lot of teams that keep popping up, uh, you know, the San Francisco 49ers, I find that to be a potential interesting destination, especially a team that's already very solid defensively. Um, you have Nick Bosa already. I mean, imagine having those two guys right there for your pass rush. I mean, that's unbelievable. And there's a lot of teams who already have a solid pass rusher that are just looking basically to make them tag team champions uh, at that point. The Niners would be interesting. Um, some of the other teams, you know, the Titans name has been brought up before, and they tried to get, you know, they got Jadavion Clowney last year. That didn't work out. They obviously needed that pass rush. You know, you have Seattle. Seattle, they have, you know, restrictions right now money-wise. That, that whole thing with Russell Wilson earlier in the week mm-hmm. was basically a cry for help, telling and urging the front office to get some offensive line help, but they don't have a lot of cap space. Um, you know, you have a quarterback making 35 million a year not his fault you accept the money that they give you but it does make it a little bit more difficult to be able to go out and put legit offensive linemen in front of you now as i said earlier in the week though kind of you look at the tampa bay buccaneers three of their five or three of their offensive linemen kev are all division two college you know college players yeah. <laughs> like, like that's what's crazy about that time and then the worst kid they have a the other two offensive linemen one from penn state and the worst kid from iowa so you know the Bucks' offensive line wasn't made up of a, a Big Ten All Star team. You know, like it, you know, they're all couple year guys. So to your point, it is about having the right front office to be able to go out and and kind of pick through the weeds and find you know the talent that's hidden yep. in those deep weeds, and that's going to be up to the Seahawks. But they, you know, they would be an interesting fit for Watt, but financially they can't do it. We're talking about a guy that makes sixteen mil a year in, in JJ Watt, uh, and definitely a, a difference maker. He's going to be an instant. Dis, uh, instant difference maker, whatever defense he ends up on. And now we get to get to the point where this gets interesting. All his two brothers play for your Pittsburgh Steelers, mm-hmm. and that seems to be where everyone is putting their eyes towards and saying, oh, this is easy, it's done, it's Pittsburgh. I don't see that being the case. Now, I, would lo- I, I, I wouldn't love it as a Browns fan, but from just a, a general football fan, from a storyline perspective, that would be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Three brothers all playing on the same team, that would be pretty dang cool. And Two elite brothers, by the way. I mean, J.J. Watt and T.J. Watt. I mean, T.J. Watt was, what, running for Defensive Player of the Year? I mean, we're talking about two elite defensive players. It makes all the sense in the world from a fantasy land perspective. But from from a fantasy land perspective, yes. Uh, But from a financial plan perspective, no. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Pittsburgh is literally having to go to Big Ben to restructure his contract so that they can, you know, eliminate that $40 million cap hit that they're going to experience. And I'm just curious, how much of that are they going to be able to eliminate? And with what's left, they still have a lot of guys on their own roster now that they're trying to re-sign. I think Pittsburgh's out. Unless unless Watt comes out and takes a bare minimum contract, I don't see him in, in Pittsburgh, Kev. How much does he want to play with his brothers? That's really going to depend on whether or not he plays in Pittsburgh or not. Because financially, I just don't see it. And if Pittsburgh does free up any kind of decent change... You're not going to use it all on one player. You're going to have to disperse that to fill some holes. It's going to be, when they restructure Ben's contract, they're going to be restructuring to pay his brother and Mika Fitzpatrick. That's how they're going to be divvying up Big Ben's money. I look at it as a four-way race. I got my two teams that if he's willing to take a lower contract, if he's willing to take a lower contract and not get what he's worth, it is the Rams and the Steelers. If he's willing to get what he's worth, and be on a contending team, it is the Browns and the Titans. I think it's as simple as that. If he's willing to take a major pay cut, the Rams and Steelers are in place. If he wants best of both worlds, he goes to the Browns or the Titans. Yeah, right now, I mean, a lot of people, and, and I want to ask Bengals fans this. Why not you? Why not the Bengals? That's my biggest question I have is, is like, this is my, this would be my concern if I'm a Bengals fan. 
Why is your name not being brought up for any major free agents that are out there? You have major holes to fill. You're in year two of a rookie quarterback uh, contract for Joe Burrow. Uh, I thought, you know, are the Bengals going to pull a Reds and spend all their money last offseason and just sit back and just hope that that talent, you know, takes a step forward this coming up season? I mean, what's the what's the dealio? And for those of you thinking that uh, the Anthony Munoz II and uh, the Suell kid from, from Oregon, that he's going to be there, Atlanta today came out and said that they are very interested in him, that, you know, they have a quarterback. Uh, yes, you know, there's always time to get a quarterback in the future, and that whoever's sitting there at their spot, it's not as if those quarterbacks are a lock, so they're not going to take a quarterback just to take one. When you have that high of a pick, you've got to take the best player that's there, and that's going to be that offensive lineman out of Oregon. So Cincinnati may not even end up with him. So I'm just, and, and that's from, I mean, obviously Watt, not an offensive lineman, clearly. But I'm just saying, like, why are we not hearing about the Bengals being more aggressive in free agency? Keep hearing, oh, you know, Tooney. Tooney's going to be, they're going to go after Tooney. And he's going to require a large sum of money. So right. he will not be a Cincinnati Bengal next year. He will not be a Cincinnati, he will not be a Bengal next year. And I've been screaming about Tooney being a Bengal for years. Well, a year and a half, but still, <laughs> for a year and a half, I've been screaming about Tooney being a Cincinnati Bengal, that they should go after him, they should do everything that they can to get him here. He'd be closer to home. We've heard all of that, but right. he's in a situation that he can go and get good money. Right. And I don't think the Bengals are going to do that. So when we talk about what, I, maybe the Bengals right now aren't in a position to get him because it's not like they're what away from being anything significant, but what should be a part of your plan, not your plan, not, well, we're going to get what this offseason and, and see what we get in the draft. But I just don't get why we're not hearing more hunger and drive from the Bengals' front office because, my goodness, look around the league. The the trend of these teams with rookie quarterbacks and their deal, they're killing it right now. The AFC's killing it. The Bills, the Browns, the Chiefs, the Ravens. Everyone's killing it on their quarterbacks on rookie deals. And there you are taking your sweet-ass time. It, it it It's nauseating. It's nauseating. But to your point real quick. Oh, no. Go ahead. No, just the J.J. Watt thing about him to the Bengals. I don't see it at all. Uh, I see J.J. Watt. I believe he's like 31, 32 maybe. At this point in your career, it's about trying to get that Super Bowl ring. And as good as the Bengals' offense is going to be next year and as much money they can probably throw his way, I don't think that he's in a position to be like, all right, yeah, I'm going to go down to Cincinnati and this is basically a real rebuilding situation. That's exactly what was going to be happening in Houston. He could just stay there in nice weather and stay with a familiar franchise, familiar situation that he's known for. I don't think that the Bengals are in play at all. I really think it's down to those four teams, uh, Rams, Steelers, Browns, Titans. All right, 457-9464, Bengals fans. I I mean, again, the Bengals aren't in this conversation for Watts, but I guess the question I have is, is shouldn't you be bothered that you are not? I mean, you have a lot of holes out there that you need to fill. You're going to have to fill it in free agency anyways, and this guy just becomes available, and all these teams in the AFC, especially the AFC North, are being brought up left and right, and your name's not even in it at all. Um, Look, and let's say this. If I'm the Bengals, I do this. I don't spend any money on Watt, but I don't spend money on Watt because I'm going to spend all my money on Tooney because... Mm -hmm. Watt's going to most likely end up with Pittsburgh or Cleveland. And your quarterback, who you could not protect last year, who had a season-ending injury in Week 11, Tooney needs to be who you go and get to make sure that you lock that side up. Because, to me, it's worth overpaying to get him. Mm-hmm. Because you got to protect him. Because if, if Watt does end up in Cleveland... Now you have Miles Garrett. Now you have Watt. Uh, there's rumors of the Browns going after Bud Dupree. They're going to go after him hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and if Bud Dupree doesn't get the money that he's asking for in, in Pittsburgh, he's out. He is. He, he's going to go. He's good as gone. So 
and a lot of times when players leave situations like that, they kind of like to venture off within the division because they want to go at the team that mm-hmm. didn't find them valuable enough to keep and, and spend money on. So there's a good chance. You know, Rich, I, I texted a buddy of mine earlier. I go, this is the big picture offseason for the Browns. Get what, everything you can in the draft. Richard Sherman, Bud Dupree, Watt. Call it an offseason. Hello, AFC North Championship in 2021. That needs to be their focus. Uh, but 457-9464. Uh, here's some Bengals fans on Facebook. Uh, let me make sure people can read these for those who are on Facebook because, you know, I'm getting older and can't apparently. The Bengals are not a proven franchise yet. He will not look there. Charles, well, how, how much longer are we going to be saying that about the Bengals? It's year two of Joe Burrow. How, how, much, how long does he need? How long do they need? Uh, it didn't take the Chiefs long. It didn't take the Browns long. It didn't take the Ravens long. It didn't take the Bills long. Why is it taking the the Bengals long? What what are they waiting for? I mean, after this year, you're in year three, and after year three is when you start talking about paying your quarterback. At that point, Joe Burrow, it's not about paying him. He might just say, "No, I'm good. No, I'm good. I I don't want to sign long term until I mean, you didn't even get me pieces when you had the financial flexibility to get me pieces. So why would I sign long term with the Bengals if it's going to be even more difficult to get me pieces once I sign a long term contract? That's a realistic concern that Bengals fans need to have about Joe Burrow. If they don't get big pieces this year, next year is you know year two. You head into year three. After year three is when you have those conversations about extensions. The Browns are having that now about Baker Mayfield. That's all I'm saying is that you know big picture. They got to be really concerned about that. Tyler Five says because Mike Brown is too cheap, he won't do anything to help us get better and win games. Paul Blanton, Paul the Bengal fan, says uh, Mike Brown is too cheap to go after Watt. It's not like Mike Brown to go after good free agents. They're not hungry and they have no drive. Mike Brown doesn't care. Where are these Bengals fans at when the season's going on? Because we get a totally different. Bengal fan during the season. These Bengal fans, I believe, are realistic and shooting it straight. But where are they at when the season's going on? Because I haven't heard any of that type of conversation. Whenever we hear Bengal conversation, it's how great Joe Burrow is, and we're going to turn it around, everything like that. And it's great to be optimistic and have faith in your franchise and your guys, but I really like where those guys are coming from because they're shooting it straight from the hip. They're keeping it real. They're talking about how terrible Mike Brown is when it comes to like spending money on guys. Like that's that's how the whole NFL sees it. But the thing about it is with Watt and the Bengals in general is they'll they'll go after guys. Guys will sign there, but it won't be big guys like that, like a JJ Watt. Guys that's going to be looking for a job, like you know Von Bell. He's a name obviously to us because we're a Buckeye Nation and everything like that. But the reality, Von Bell was average. We would uh with the Saints, he needed a gig. Bengals dialed him up. He plays. He has a couple big plays for the Bengals this year. I don't think they're going to be getting any impact free agents like that, like a J.J. Watt. I think they'll get some solid players that are NFL caliber, but I don't think they'll be getting any impact players, especially on defense. I really think, just like you, the focus for the Bengals should be the offensive line to protect your investment. That is Joe Burrow and let everything else take care of. So I'm, I'm with you. Like Spend all your money on offense. If you're going to be bad, if you're going to be a bad team, at least be that type of team that puts up a ton of points and your defense gives up a ton of points. At least you'd be entertaining to watch. But then you feel good heading into next offseason where it's like, okay, like, for instance, that's exactly what happened with Cleveland this year. This year, the offense, it just clicked. Their defense was garbage. But their passing game finally clicked. Their run game was there from the very beginning, and it was finally complemented by the pass game. They have offense. I mean, they did all of that without OBJ. This is how good the Browns are offensively right now, is that they're saying, you know, we did all this without OBJ. We, we're going to add OBJ back, head into next season, 
and he could just take this offense and explode even more. Or they could say, hey, okay, he's still in our way. We're just going to move him. I mean, how, how, how good a position is that to be in, that you can have a talent like OBJ and not need him? Like, the Browns are set because they've made the offense the focus for the last couple of years. And guess what? Now that the defense is the problem, this is the fun offseason where you get to go out and get every defensive piece you can get your free agent hands on. Whether it's Richard Sherman, Bud Dupree, uh, now J.J. Watt. I mean, who knows? You, know, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. their offense is set. They wrapped up their offensive line for a couple of years. Their receivers are set for a couple of years. Their running backs, they extended, or at least, uh, you know, in Kareem Hunt last year. Chubb's going to be coming up for an extension soon. And Baker's heading into year four now. The offense is set. Now they get to focus on the defense. So I'm with you. This offseason, the Bengals, offense, 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 go to sleep, wake up, yawn, offense, go back to sleep, wake mm-hmm. up again, offense, take a crap, get off the toilet, go get more offense, maybe eat a little something, crap again, go get more damn offense, and then worry about the defense after that. But taking a couple million and spitting it here on the defense and on the offense here and there, you're not getting better quick enough to be a force anywhere. Let's go to the phones, 457-9464. Regardless of your team, J.J. Watt, where does he end up? Where do you want to see him, and where do you not want to see him end up? I know in Cleveland, I don't want him in Pittsburgh. (laughs) It's bad enough they got Watt and Bush coming back next year and stuff. Like, I mean, there's going to be a lot of question marks on offense, but defense, you know, still got to worry about the Steelers defensively. I don't want him in Baltimore. Uh, you know, and I don't want him in Cincinnati either. I don't want Baker having to worry about Watt coming at him left and right. I want him in Cleveland. <laughs> to the phones we go, Kev. We got McKinney. McKinney, welcome in, sir. How are you? Good afternoon, gentlemen. How are you doing today? Good. Did you see uh, a kid from Wayne uh, verbally committed to Alabama today, Elijah Brown? Well, you know, I'd like to thank Mr. and Mrs. Brown for raising such a smart, bright, <laughs> and son. And guaranteeing that they will be have a house bought for them in the future. There you go. Recruiting fire. Remember who your friends Shield. are. <laughs> Don't blow up the spot. Hey, you know, you know it's like Wing, like you yeah. say it's sales. A B C. Always be close. Close the deal. But what what I I called to talk about this thing that's just got me absolutely crazy is. Why does anybody want J.J. Watt? Why do, why do you want somebody that is wearing a piece of equipment that looks like it came out of a $6 million man reject pile? Every three to five weeks, J.J. Watt screaming, coming out of his tunnel with fire extinguishers shooting around him, hollering with that piece of equipment on, doing jack nothing. Uh Keep your American Family Insurance commercials, make your money. Uh, don't go to Pittsburgh and mess up your brother. Because the last thing you need to do is have the big brother come in wanting to steal thunder from the little brothers. They're not going to put up with that. They've, they've got a family. You don't need this guy to come in there and upset the apple cart. J.J. Watt is overrated. He has, in, has he been in the league 10 years. Yeah, yeah. I, I re- yeah, I relate that to Earl Campbell. You could have got a 15-year career if you'd step out of bounds every once in a while or if you'd ease up on somebody every once in a while. But, no, you cost your team every week one big play where you get overmatched or overplayed because you, you shot out of a cannon, or they just go fight past you because you can't move because you got the six million dollar man triple let knee brace, arm brace, wrist brace 
to go on with the neck brace and the titanium chips in your elbow. <laughs> I don't need this guy on my team for any reason. He is a distraction. You talk about distractions. I don't need... I, I'll put it this way. I will get him a sponsorship for French's Mustard because I don't want that hot dog on my bench. What is... Why is he... A, I'm just curious. Why is he a distraction? Uh, camera hog, media hog. He is considered one of the quote unquote. I'm doing the air quote thing that Kev likes to do. <laughs> you do do that a lot. I know. You I do, know. do do that a lot. <laughs> I, know, I say man, it a lot too. It, man. Hey, hey Kev, I gave I gave you the footnote, man, so you know where it came from. For sure. <laughs> so, oh man. So he is a media. Hog. He is the face of the NFL. People love him. He's on Subway. I want you on the club, not in the tub, in a suit. You look great at the NFL honor thing. Whoever your tailor is, the boy is on point. I give him 100. However, I need you to be out on the field being a leader, not being this guy that's growling and snarling and... Uh, Brock Lesnar and all, making all the faces and gyrations. I want you making big plays. I cannot build a winner around you. You are a locker room divider. Offense, defense, J.J. Watt is not the kind of person I want on my team to be centered around and have the defense all of a sudden be focused around J.J. Watt. He ain't that good. He's not. Not at, not at 10 years. At that position, yeah, yeah. and the way he said hurt, no way. Diminishing returns. It's return on it's return on investment, and there's no investment in JJ Watt. All right, hey McKinney, good hearing from you, Paulie the Bengal fan. He just messaged in and said to tell you hello. Well, you know, Paul, <laughs> appreciate what you got. Keep rooting for the Bengal. Keep being a realist. Be a homer when it's appropriate to be. But smash them when they need to be smashed. Hey, uh, one more thing before I go. It's a beautiful day out here. 32 degrees. It's going to be cold for the next couple of days. But one more thing to warm everybody's heart for Valentine's Day. Here it goes. Roll Tide. You know. <laughs> Take care, McKinney. Appreciate hearing from you. Good stuff. 457-946. We're talking J.J. Watt right now and the reaction. Uh, I don't know if I necessarily – I don't agree with a lot. I usually agree with a lot, McKinney says. I disagree with a lot of what he said. I've never looked at – you know, maybe it's just a difference of perception. I've never heard or viewed him as being a, a locker room divider. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I know there was that little rant he went on at the end of the year that it did upset people because he waited so long in the season to go to do, to do that. But again, I don't care about that. I think Watt is a a, a tenure guy, a veteran, a guy you, that you know what you get with him, right. barring he's healthy. Right. And, and I think that that's why. And I don't think he's not signing a long time deal. You're right. not bringing him in to bring him in for five years, unless I don't know what the hell he's looking for. I don't even know what the standard <laughs> contract is. But you, you know, all I'm saying is, is if the Brown, you know, if he's he might kind of tinker around with a one-year deal, two-year deal, whatever. If I'm the Browns, I jump on that. If I'm the Bengals, if I'm the Steelers, any team out there, I should be reaching out to him to see what it takes because we just watched in the Super Bowl pass rushers, pass rushers, offensive linemen, it's the, and quarterbacks. That's the key to everybody's success here in 2021. Uh, 457-9464, who's on line two, Kevin? we got DoorDash Ray. DoorDash Ray, what up, man? How are you? DoorDash Ray. 
Who, Rob, who is this? Who we got on this on this line? Nobody. All right. Who who's up next then? It should be Rob then. All right, Rob. Welcome in, Rob. How are you? Well, this isn't Rob. It's DoorDash Rake. This is Kevin, uh, the master at the panel over there. Hey, 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 hey. Quotation. <laughs> Quotation. So anyway, you're talking, you, I heard you talking a lot of crap a minute ago. You're sitting down. You're taking the crap. Kind of talking about the Bengals going to take another crap. A lot of crap being talked about there, Justin. That's um, just another Friday. J.J. Watt's coming to Oakland or uh, Las Vegas, whatever you want to call it. He's coming to the Raiders. Uh, we're getting rid of Cleveland Farrell is going to the Texans with a third-round pick. And we're going to get J.J. Watt. Mark my word. Actually, that does make. I I can't see that. I I can't see that. I I do see the Raiders uh, being a, actually a very good fit. Uh, and look, we're new in this. I'm just. I, I want to know how long we're going to be waiting before he officially makes a decision. That that's going to be the big key, you know. Uh, but the Raiders, that's a good fit. Uh, the but you know, I never. I the Raiders drive me nuts because you know you had one of the best pass rushers in football that you just let go because you got a new coach that just didn't see him as a part of the plan which is absolutely <laughs> ridiculous so the Raiders to me you know I say that about certain teams all the time they don't deserve certain things they don't deserve good defensive pieces so that's where I'm well, at with that and that letting go of Khalil Mack let me tell you we brought a lot of good people in Josh Jacobs I mean it transpired in a lot of good traffic that draft actually was awesome every one of those guys became a starter so mm-hmm. what, well, what have you got out of it? The, the, Gruden's the only coach I know that gets five to six years to really get it going in the NFL. I mean, everyone else. Yeah, I mean, Stefanski, I, I, boom, I he hits the ground running. I just don't get the whole Raiders thing, man. I'm just, I, 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 don't, agree, I don't. Even with even with Khalil Mack, we weren't winning. So that was his justification on that. He wanted to get something for him, which he did. Uh, we got an all-pro running back. He's been great the last couple seasons. You can get running backs. Any? I sneezed a running back early. I sneezed and opened the tissue, and there's a running back sitting right there. I mean, it's unbelievable. You can get running backs everywhere. But I know what you're saying. Look, I do like Josh Jacobs, one of the best backs in the league. I'm a million percent with you. But if you got rid of Khalil Mack, just if if you feel like you won because you had him because you got rid of Khalil Mack, all I'm saying is, in all seriousness, you keep Khalil Mack, you could have got a, a great quality back in free agency or later in the draft. Uh, but I know what you're saying. I mean, it, they have holes filled, but they got to start winning, man. No more of this eight and eight stuff. The expectation they got to win and win at a high level. I I don't know how much how many Gruden gets this mega deal and he's doing half of what some of the better coaches in football are doing. It doesn't make sense. Well, because you have to have a defense to stop something. I mean, crying out loud, you can't keep... If only you had a guy like Khalil Mack. If only you had a guy like Khalil... No, we did not. No, he was not covering... Our our downfall is our secondary and our safety play. That's all there is to it. We can rush the quarterback all day long. But if we cannot stop, you know, Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, which, as you saw, Tampa Bay shut him down. You know, if if you have two high playmakers on an offense coming at you, you're supposed to just drop back into good old-fashioned, you got him, you got him, shut these two guys down, you can shut the whole team down. But our defense, listen, we can get rid of every coordinator in the world. We just brought this Gus Bradley in and half of the San Diego Chargers, Las Vegas Chargers, whoever you want to call them today, we brought in their whole defense, their whole defensive coaching staff, and we're going to see what can happen. But you bring in Bosa with you? What's that? Bring in Bosa or Derwin James with you? Or, or Melvin Eagle? Because those are the players. Uh, you're right. You're right. Exactly right. Don't think that you're not going to try to bring those guys over. Um, when you bring a whole new coaching staff in from a different team, I mean, I just have questions with my team, man. We got we're spending way too much money, like you said, Gruden. Hundred, you know, hundred million dollar contract. We're still not winning. And look for Mark Davis. This will be his year. If he doesn't win, Gruden's going to be gone. But you know, I, I think we're going to flip together eventually. I hope so. 
All right, well, DoorDash Ray, I like your enthusiasm. I like that you think you're going to get J.J. Watt. The Raiders are, though, a realistic landing spot for him from a, a team with cap space for sure. And also, it's, another, it's an extra $150 if you make 60 deliveries by the, today and Monday. Oh, 60 deliveries between now and Monday. It's an extra 150 That's correct. All right. Well, really? we're going to end the show early. Me and Kim got some DoorDashing to do. <laughs> Door- All right. DoorDash Ray, take care. All right, mate. 60. No sleep till Brooklyn. <laughs> that ain't happening. I'm chilling. I'm good. All right. The Justin <laughs> Kinder Show with Kev Nash. Kev, who's up next? We have Rob back. Rob. We got Rob back finally since Kev robbed hey, you of your last chance to talk. How are you, sir? Hey, guys. How you doing? Good. Good. Hey, that, that caller that called before saying that J.J. Watts overrated or something, his first five seasons he had over 70 sacks. Well, I think that's more in regards to who he is right now. Look, this is, but to be honest, any team that gets J.J. Watt, it's not the J.J. Watt of old, and I don't think he's old J.J. Watt, but I think you know he's no spring chicken anymore either. You're just going to get a good, right. solid veteran pass rusher that I think a lot of teams need, um, but I don't think he's worth $15 million, I promise you that much. No. I mean, I mean, I don't think he's worth $15 million, but I'm sure he's worth a little over 10 I'd say about 10, 8 to 10 for right now. For where he, he's, he has helped, I mean, he, he's constantly a health concern. He, he's very, right. you know, brittle. Um, and, you know, he is older, um, you know. But, however, if he is willing to do like a, you know, $12, $13 million deal for one year, then I find him worth it. But I'm not locking him up to a two, three year deal, 15 mil per. I ain't doing even, that. Even if, even if it's just one year and it, and it costs somebody 15 million, if he gets, Ten to twelve sacks, it's worth it. Ten to twelve. Oh, at, at that point, yes. But uh, you'll be lucky if he plays ten to twelve games. That that's that would be my biggest concern. Right, that's true. So where do you before we let you go? Because we're up against the clock. Where do you think he ends up? Maybe like a, you know he wants to probably go to a Super Bowl contender. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe maybe like a, a Buffalo or Baltimore. On the AFC side, and then on the NFC side, of course, his first choice is going to be probably Tampa Bay. Tampa, I, I got to look at, and Ron messaged in Tampa Bay as well. And uh, I mean, Ron, you can't get it all, man. I mean, come on, you just got your Super Bowl, and you got every free agent last year you wanted. Uh, you, you know, Tampa, it, you know, they could pull some strings and make it happen. It would be, you know, interesting to see them do that. But uh, I'm so, no Cleveland love, huh? No, well. Cleveland can't make it to the Super Bowl. They never have. Okay. If you say so. Not going to let you rain on my Friday, man. Hey, Rob, good hearing from you. All right. Thanks, guys. Take care. Have Later, a great Rob. weekend. You as well. All right, folks, that's it. Four five seven nine four six four. Daniel Cormier going to be calling in here in about 15 minutes. Uh, really excited about that. Again, a big UFC weekend coming up. Uh, this weekend, UFC 258, Usman versus Burns. Again, ESPN Plus in pay-per-view tomorrow night. And uh, former UFC heavyweight and light heavyweight champion Daniel Cormier is going to be calling in. And we'll chat with him in here in just a few moments. Top of the hour next. Don't go anywhere. Ten minutes. Former UFC heavyweight and light heavyweight champion Daniel Cormier is going to be calling into the show. We're going to be... 
previewing and taking a look to tomorrow's big card for UFC 258, Usman versus Burns. Again, a highly anticipated match live on ESPN Plus and on pay-per-view. 6.30 is when the uh, prelims begin. 10 o'clock uh, is when, of course, you get to the meat of everything. So we're pretty excited to be joined by former UFC heavyweight and light heavyweight champion Daniel Cormier coming up here uh, in just a few moments. We'll be calling in. Real quick, Kev, before we step away to set that interview up, uh, some more reaction on the Facebook feed about where they believe J.J. Watt could end up. Um, here's one I didn't think about that does make a lot of sense as well. Keith Tolliver says the Packers, uh, mm. the Green Bay I'm Packers. I'm coming home. I think it does come. Yeah. That, you know, I think it makes a lot of sense, but you I, I have to go and look at cap space for all the teams because the, right. the team that makes the most sense is the team that probably can't get them, and that's Pittsburgh. Unless Watt just takes a family-friendly deal because he wants to be united with his brothers. Just to, I mean, it's one thing to play with one brother, but to play with two brothers, that's pretty dang cool. Eh. <laughs> just depends if you like your brothers. I love my brother, but uh, how many millions I'm going to be having to sacrifice to play with him is the question. Uh, and the thing is, though, he had a deal left on his contract for Houston, right? Mm-hmm. So he's getting paid. Houston's paying him for that last year. So he's getting paid this next year by Houston on top of what he's going to make with whatever team he signs with. From how I understand it, I could be wrong on that. And if for those of you listening, uh, if you know that answer, let me know. But the way I understand it is, is that the Texans just outright released him. He had another deal left on the uh, uh, season left on the deal. So he's going to be paid for that final year by Houston. You don't just outright let him go and just not get no. paid, right? No, you don't get paid. Oh, so they both just so he's not getting paid. Yes. So he is a so he might go pursue that. I mean, he was supposed to get paid sixteen million for this coming up season with Houston. So uh, that's going to be interesting where he could potentially end up. I just don't I don't see Green Bay spending sixteen million on him. I just don't. Uh, Aaron Rodgers has already come out and said that they want to restructure the deal. He's making $33 million a year. He wants, I mean, Russell Wilson's getting paid more. Uh, you know, there's a lot of quarterbacks ahead of him that are making more. When Baker signs his deal, he could be making more than Aaron Rodgers coming up here in the next year. So if they're fearing that Aaron Rodgers is going to demand that they pay him more, for one, they just may trade him, or they're not going to invest all their money into one player in Watt that you still have to worry about. Here it is. Watt had one year remaining on his contract he signed in 2014. He was owed $17.5 million in 2021, but the salary was not guaranteed. He is now a free agent and eligible to sign with any team that he chooses. Well, there you go. We'll get back into this conversation involving J.J. Watt, where he could end up. I want to hear, We didn't get to the Browns fans uh, on the phones. We're going to get to the Browns fans coming up in just a moment. But coming up next, tomorrow night, UFC 258, Usman versus Burns. Highly anticipated match live on ESPN Plus and pay-per-view. And to preview that fight, we got former UFC and light heavyweight champion Daniel Cormier joining us next. Don't go anywhere. All right, and we are back. I'm Justin Kinner. He's Kev Nash with you live here on Dayton's ESPN radio station, 1410 Wing AM. Listen, stream, and now watch. Excited for UFC 258 coming up tomorrow night. Usman versus Gilbert Burns. Super excited for this fight and the card for tomorrow. Again, tomorrow night, 10 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Plus and on pay-per-view. Keep in mind the prelims do begin at 6.30. But with talking UFC, I can think of no one better to bring on than to preview tomorrow night's big UFC 258 card Former UFC heavyweight and light heavyweight champion Daniel Cormier joining us now. Welcome in, man. How are you doing today? 
I'm doing really good. How about yourself? Good. We appreciate you coming on and hanging out with us. This is a big one tomorrow. You know, every time we have these fights, I just started getting into UFC the last couple of years, and every time we go and watch the fights at, at a buddy's house, and I'm excited for this one tomorrow. What's the number one thing you're looking for in this card tomorrow, especially the matchup between Usman and Burns? Obviously the main event. You know, the main event pops off the page to everyone. You know, everybody's excited about seeing those guys fight. Got a fantastic storyline. You know, the teammates and the friends uh, coming out to fight each other. It don't get much better. You know, we all love drama. You know, it's sad. It's sad. But we have people who love drama. And uh, we all love the drama to uh, bring. Now, how you know you talk about the drama and building up these fights? Uh, you know, you guys. I mean, you being a former champion yourself, you guys feed off the crowd. You feed off the atmosphere of these fights. The drama, you know, is always taken to that next level on reacting to the crowd. How different has that been? I mean, you haven't fought with no crowds uh, in front of no crowds during this stretch. But how difficult is that to have a fight with no fans to feed off of energy and adrenaline wise? I did the one time, right? It's different. It's much different. You know, uh, um, it's. You know, the, the reality is uh, we're so used to fans and so used to building off of the crowd that when you're out there with no one, you know, it's, it's a little bit different. But I think guys have adjusted. Uh, guys and gals have adjusted. They've gotten better at it. And uh, you'll continue to see people get better at it as time goes, you know. Champ, how do you break down a fight? versus when you're calling the fight like you're going to do on Saturday versus when you're going into the battle yourself? Uh, it's just fun, right? Like, I enjoy, obviously, you know, I love uh, calling the fight and watching the fight, but, boy, it's so much better when you don't have to deal with the stress <laughs> of, uh, of, of being in the fight, you know? It's fantastic, you know? Do you ever get that itch to get back in? I mean, when you're watching, I mean, I know you're officially retired, but when you when you sit, you know, alongside the octagon and you're calling these fights, I mean, you still get that itch. No, I'm good. I, uh, <laughs> they, they, they literally just asked me a little bit ago, how does it feel watching Tom Brady as a 43-year-old uh, winning a Super Bowl? I go, I feel absolutely nothing. I go, I'm good. They said, really, I said, I am 100% good. I don't feel anything. You know, Tom Brady can take and have as many Super Bowl championships as he wants. And, and uh, I'm good. Real quick, earlier today, Dana White was on uh, ESPN's first take with Max Kellerman, and they were they were talking about the potential return of Khabib. The chances of that happening, in your opinion, are what? It, you know, they talk about it has to be the right person, the right fight, the right build. Do you anticipate that happening in the near future? I just think, I think that's all of it, right? It's all about the right person. I think that's what's going to get Khabib back into the octagon. It won't be just some random, uh, it won't be just any fight. It'll have to be something that really gets him excited uh, competitively. This one tomorrow night, again, one more time, just want to preview this before we let you go. We appreciate you hanging out with us for this short time. But UFC 258, uh, you know, also hearing Dana White just promote the heck out of this fight earlier today. I mean, Dana White says that Usman has the chance to be one of the greatest fighters ever. And he right now he's off to one hell of a start. I think he has the longest winning streak in UFC right now. Uh, of these two, what's your gut telling you is, is who has the edge heading into this one? Um, I can't really tell you who has the edge. I know that both of these guys have uh, 
they both have advantages, right? Both of these guys are fantastic fighters. They have things that they do well. Um, and, and obviously, uh, the fact that they were teammates and they trained together for so long will play to this being a more competitive fight. You know, it's, uh, I just think that in terms of matchup, it could not have been matched up any better. And then the fight and the teammate thing only adds to, uh, what the fight is. So with them being teammates and everything, do you see a, a more prolonged filling out process throughout the first round, or do you think these guys are just going to go at it from the go? I feel like these dudes are so tired of, of, of everything, right? You know, from having to answer all of our questions to having to deal with the idea that they were friends and now they're not friends and all this other stuff that they just want to go do it. They just want to go fight. They want to go in there and they want to tear each other apart, you know? You know, that's funny. You know, watching the Conor McGregor and Poirier fight uh, just a few weeks ago, you know, how do you guys go from just wanting to rip each other's head off to just beating down one another to after after the match, you have McGregor just smiling and just, you know, being, you know, being, you know, a lot of sportsmanship, which is something we don't see a lot of from him at times, right? Like, you know, I, I like the old McGregor. I like the mean McGregor. <laughs> I don't get how you guys just turn that switch off the second it's done. That's not everybody, right? And I think that is a new, uh, that's a new part to Connor. You know, he wasn't always the the most uh, the most uh, you know sportsmanship type of guy. I think right now this is something that he's doing as a a father and man to try to improve himself. You know, and I think that's why you saw the kind of McGregor you saw in Abu Dhabi. I don't know if necessarily that is to his benefit. You know, because the guy. The wild man, the wild man was fun. You know, the wild mm-hmm. man was fun and crazy, and and he uh, he uh, he made for good fights. Do you anticipate him? Do you just, that McGregor returning when we get to that third bout between the two? Does that McGregor return at some point, or is it what we saw last time? We're just a little friendly after. I think he has to bring that back. Right, it's part of the intrigue of who Conor McGregor is. All right, last thing on your way out, UFC 258 tomorrow. For those who have never tuned into a UFC fight, what can they expect in the bout between Usman and Burns tomorrow night at 10 o'clock? I just expect a beautiful display of violence. These guys are going to bring it, and I cannot wait to be in the octagon or next to the octagon (laughs) as they really let it all go. I'm excited. All right, we're excited, too. Former UFC heavyweight and light heavyweight champion Daniel Cormier, good enough to hang out with us today on the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash. Daniel, thanks so much, uh, and enjoy your night tomorrow. Thank you. Thanks, champ. All right, good stuff there, 457-9464. Again, UFC 258 tomorrow. That was former UFC heavyweight champion Daniel Cormier and light heavyweight champion. Uh, But but nonetheless, you know, he talks about how he was a fought for a long time Mm -hmm. in Watches Tom Brady still, you know, playing, you know, in the Super Bowl and still playing at that level. He has no itch to get back into the <laughs> octagon, none whatsoever. I mean, that's that's real because I haven't played basketball. Obviously, I've never played for real basketball, but like pickup basketball, I haven't played pas- basketball in it's going on three years, and I get the itch when this like the NBA Finals. Like, oh man, I want to go back out there, but then I realize like, man, like my back hurts. My feet hurt, and I am not even out on the court yet. So I, I get where he's coming from because I can only imagine, like, he literally got hit in the face for a living for years. So, yeah, once you hang it up, 
And once your mind turns that switch off, it's over, man. And you don't want to ever, we see this in boxing, especially like back in, you know, the 80s and the 90s. You know, guys will box well into their late 30s and end up injuring themselves because they're out there for the money or out there for the love of the sport. You know, nowadays, guys don't have to do that for money. Like, he's making a real good living calling the fights and everything like that. There's so many avenues for retired athletes to, to make a living and still be connected to the sport that they love. So I commend all these guys that realize when they don't want to do it anymore, they don't have to. All right, we'll step away for a few moments. And, uh, again, opening up the phone lines back up at 457-9464. Valentine's Day is coming up this Sunday, and the flower man wants to make sure that he hooks up uh, a lucky winner with a dozen roses to give away to their significant other this coming up Sunday. against this Sunday, Valentine's Day. Uh, so if you want a chance to win a free dozen roses from the flower man, you need to head to Facebook. Head to Facebook, search The Justin Kenner Show, and like the show page. Like the show page and follow along and that you'll be automatically entered to win a free dozen roses from the Flower Man. In fact, we had all of our winners reach out today. We contacted them. Uh, Some have already picked up their roses. So, again, we want to make sure that everyone has an opportunity here to be in this drawing. Again, we're going to have one more drawing coming up at 5.30. 5.30, your opportunity to win a free dozen roses from the Flower Man, which is perfect timing with Valentine's Day coming up this weekend. All right, I'm Justin Kinner. He's Kev Nash. We'll step away for a few moments to one, to win those roses. you got to like the Justin Kinner Show page on Facebook, though. Head to Facebook, search the Justin Kinner Show page, like and follow along, uh, and you'll be able to watch the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. So there you go. Subscribe, download the Justin Kinner Show podcast as well on your Apple iTunes and Google Play Store. You'll have access uh, to the show in its entirety as well as select segments and all interviews like the one we just did with former UFC heavyweight and light heavyweight champion Daniel Cormier. All of that accessible in your Apple iTunes and Google Play Store. We'll be back in just a moment. 457-9464, the number to call in. 1410 ESPN Radio is Dayton's home of the Ohio State Buckeyes on the hardwood. Football may be over, but basketball is just heating up. Support Chris Holman and his Buckeyes. All right, and we are back. Justin Kinner, Kev Nash with you here on Dayton's ESPN Radio Station, 1410 Wing AM. All right, uh, keep in mind uh, the interview we just did with former UFC heavyweight champion Daniel Cormier. That's going to be up on the website at wingam.com. You can also access it in your Google Play uh, and I, in Apple, sorry, your Apple Store, Google Play Store. Make sure you go and uh, subscribe and download. Man, learn to talk, Kenner. It's as if you've never, you know, had a show before. Uh, you know, subscribe, download the Justin Kenner Show in your Apple iTunes, Google Play Store, and that interview will be accessible right there as well. Daniel Cormier, former UFC champion, joining us. Uh, you know, that... Look, these fights are pretty dang cool, but I'm telling you right now, I'm not fighting in an empty arena. <laughs> like I've, I, I mean, they're doing it. That's their livelihood. That's how they make their money. But I'm telling you right now, like to me, there's a lot of things you could. Do. I could play basketball in an empty, you know, in front of no fans. I could play football in front of no fans. But to me, fighting, like that, the adrenaline from the crowd, like that's. I mean, come on, who? Have you ever been in a fight with anyone, like with no one around? What good is <laughs> yes. that? What good is that? Uh, to me, it's like you know, you know, if you you know, growing up and I'd get in fights at school, I got revved up because of the people in the circle around us. They were like, yeah, like yeah, you're showing off for them. But now you just sit there; it's just awkward. You're just two weirdos just rolling around together. I'm just like, no, I, you know. So no, here every slap. So so good for them. For by the way, there are some fans allowed at these. Now that I think about it, just we're not talking like fans up to the right. rafters and everything like that. 
Um, but we're live. What's that? Have you ever been to like a big fight, boxing match, or no. any, okay? Yeah, yeah no. I've been to uh, been to two fights out in Las Vegas. Pretty cool, man. It's pretty cool, like to see like the stars and I mean, like they're like right there at ringside and everything like that. It's pretty cool to go to a big fight out in Las Vegas. Uh, to Facebook we go. He says, uh, off topic, Justin, will the Raiders cover the spread tonight? Minus 16. Just a yes or no will work for entertainment purposes only. Well, for entertainment purposes only. Uh, let me pull that up. The last I saw was a 16. Yeah, and he's right. So Wright State uh, at home tonight, 15-4. and four. They're welcoming Milwaukee. They're a 16-point favorite over Milwaukee. Get it done. They've had six wins of over 30 or more points. In fact, they're top four in the country in scoring margin. Um, and I got into it with some people on Facebook the other day because, you know, uh, Schlemmer had posted the top college basketball's top four teams in scoring margin. And right away, people jumped on rights and started ripping them. Well, they don't play anybody, of course. You know, they're not as good as Baylor and Gonzaga. I'm like, look, I'm a, I could be a homer at times, but I've never once said that they're even in remotely in the same ballpark as Baylor or Gonzaga. It was a simple stat that posted the top four teams in scoring margin. And right away, they start devaluing, you know, well, you know, it's easy to do that when you play in the Horizon League. Well, let's rewind a year ago, Kev. Remember a year ago? When UD was number three in the country, and you know, UD fans would get so sick of and Matt Sturgeon, who asked this, I'm not talking about you. Me and me and him, we we don't butt heads anymore on this. We're good. But a year ago, UD number three in the country, um, and you had Iowa fans and Ohio State fans continuing to bash Obi Toppin and Ohio and UD for for basically saying, "Well, you're not really the number three team in the country. You you play a ten schools every night." It's easy to beat up on the A-10. It's easy to beat up on non-Power 5 schools. While we here in the Big Ten are literally playing a top 25 opponent every single night, and you're playing Fordham and LaSalle and others. Uh, so that that they kept saying that last year. Mm-hmm. And UD fans were furious. They were pissed. They were ticked off. They didn't want none of that. And it's a very reasonable um thing to say if you were a Power 5 school saying that to the Flyers a year ago. Mm-hmm. But UD fans hated it. So you know me, I am all about anti-hypocrisy. I do not put up with hypocrisy. So I made sure to, oh, when it came to the player of the year argument as well, that Luca Garza at Iowa deserved it more than Obi was their argument because Obi beaten up on the A-10 while Luca Garza going up against the best big men in the country on a night-in, night-out basis in the Big Ten. A very valid argument. But Flyers fans hated hearing that. They did not want to hear it. They were so ticked off and as much as people think I hate, I said, look, the Flyers last year was one of those situations where I didn't need them to play somebody to know that they were somebody. Mm-hmm. We knew how damn good UD was a year ago. Right. But those arguments were valid, right? Not in the eyes of Flyer fans. They they said that's a stupid thing. You could only play who you play. But this year, Schlemmer or myself cannot post anything remotely positive about this Raider team that's going to be playing later tonight. And watch, they're going to lose now because I'm talking all this smack. <laughs> um, you know, but I can't, I, I could post, man, the Raiders looked good and it's, yeah, well, they play in a horrible conference. Yeah, well, play somebody. How come, you know, let's see what they do that in the A-10. I'm like, let's rewind a year ago. Weren't you guys so pissed off that any time, you know, you, man, UD wins another one, moving up the top 10, Ohio State fans. Yeah, well, you play the A-10. You guys hated that. So why do you do it? 
Why do you why you hold right state to a standard that you don't even hold your own program to? You you know oh right state okay why don't you beat somebody? Well last year you guys beat nobody. They're the only two legit teams you guys played last year. You lost to. So I'm like all of those things were thrown in their direction and they hated it. But yet they they turn it and spin it and rip right state for it. I have no clue why. And it's not all fans. I'm not talking to all UD fans. It's just a certain pocket, the vocal minority that's on the Facebook uh, that, that like to rip anything they do. Um, yes, the conference is bad. But I've said this before. If Wright State's only beating these bad opponents by like two to three points or let's say five to seven points tonight, I could say, okay, you have something there. But you are literally destroying. I mean, six games that they've won by 30 or more this year. There's nine games that they've won by 25 or more. Um, and there's 11 games that they've won by 20 or more. Like they are literally, yes, you can't help who you play. Yes, the conference is not that good, but you're literally destroying everyone that you play. So I have no clue what the real expect, what they really want to hear is. They, they could beat a top 25 team. Like th- this is what always happens years ago before Scott Nagy got here as the head coach. It was, well, you know, when you make the NCAA tournament, then talk to us. Then Wright State makes the NCAA tournament and then the, the NIT after that and blah, blah, blah. And then, then it's like, well, when you win a tournament game, let us know. Well, and then when they'll win a tournament game, it's like, well, when you get to the Elite Eight, let us know. <laughs> and then if they get to the Final Four, well, when you get to a national title game, let us know. Like, they are the, the UD fans, a good pocket of them, not all of them. Okay, I'm not ripping everyone, just a certain obnoxious few that like to move the goalpost, and it drives me up the wall. So that's why I'm like, you know, looking at this spread tonight, right? State expected to be win by 16. I'm already calling it now. They will cover it. They're going to win by more than 16. They're going you know, to blow Milwaukee out, and then it'll be, yeah, well, Milwaukee's bad. <laughs> or Wright State will win. They won't cover. And it's like, oh, man, you only beat Milwaukee by seven. Like, they can't win for anything, man. Like, you know. So, but the bottom line is right now they need Cleveland State's in first place in that right. division. Um, they got that Detroit. They got Detroit back-to-back. Yeah, they got nice. that Antoine Davis kid that's really good. Yeah. Uh, really, really good. And uh, I'm counting. In fact, I just had him on the podcast this week for the league. And he's averaging, like, 22 a game over the last, like, four or five straight games. They've won five straight, like, you know, Detroit needs to win tonight. They they, they need to win tonight <laughs> because then I'm also hearing like there's a lot of right now conferences are having to decide: do you take your regular season champion and just make them the the regular season title and reward the regular season champion with the auto bid? You got to understand, Cleveland State's in first place in this conference. Wright State's in second. If Wright State finishes the regular season in second, then you play the conference tournament, and the winner of the conference tournament goes to the NCAA tournament with the auto bid. If Wright State passes Cleveland State in the next, there's only four games left. I if I'm if I'm that conference and it's a bad conference, the Horizon League's a bad conference. I say, you know what? I pull a Big Ten with Ohio State. <laughs> I, I say, you know what? Congrats, Wright State. You get the auto bid. Boom. Off you go, and then you can decide what to do with the conference tournament after. But like, you should, you should guarantee. You, you, I mean, when you're a small conference like that, and you know, you, you you're not a multi bid league. You're a, you know, uh, you know, you're a one bid league. If you're going to be a one bid league, you better make sure that it's the best of the best that right. you put in that damn tournament every year. And I don't feel like they do that. Now that's right, state's fault too, because they should have been in it last year. Now there was no tournament last year, but they were the best team in the conference, and they crapped down their leg in the tournament. It ticked me off, and I'm like, no, there's no excuse. You you have to show up. Um, and they've been showing up. Hopefully they show up tonight, otherwise there's a lot of scrambled eggs on my face. I'm just going to say it. But uh, didn't mean to go on a long tangent about that, but nonetheless, I just wanted to address that because heading into the final four games of the season, and I'm just tired of, I can't even, like, this is why I can't even say, oh, yeah, right, State plays tonight without getting a message or someone chiming in on Facebook or Twitter and having to discredit anything they do. They could win 10 straight. Yeah, well, they wouldn't win 10 straight in the A-10. Whatever. <laughs> They're so better that- than half the damn A-10, so I don't want to hear it. 
So they got Milwaukee tonight and tomorrow. But then next week, they got their normal big rival, NKU. Now, NKU isn't as good as they normally are, right? Say that again? NKU, they're not as good as they normally are, right? No. They're not. They're playing they, better the shooter, now. The shooter. The, that Tyler the, Sharp. Yeah, player. yeah. I, I wanted to trip him <laughs> one year. I hated like, him until I talked to him once. He's actually a really cool dude. I'm sure he is. On, on, when he's, he's the guy you hate. Yeah, when, he's when on your lighting team. your team up, you don't got no love for him. No. Now, Matt was, he's like, oh, I put the quarter in. I put the quarter in, Justin. Sorry. <laughs> like, you know, put the quarter in, off I go. But no. No, I, I, I think they cover. Uh, he says, stats don't lie, Justin focus, yes or no, brother. Stats don't lie about what? I'm telling you, the stats. And you're taking the stats and you discredit the stats. That's what I'm trying to tell you. But anyways. Um, so the Reds uh, released their spring training schedule today, Kev. And this Red spring training was originally, you are supposed to see the first Red spring training game on December, or on December, holy smokes, on uh, February 27th. You have to wait a little longer. Mm-hmm. 24 hours. Fe- February 28th now um, is going to be the Reds' first spring training game, so keep that in mind. Um, and, and look, at this point, and I don't know about you, but like a lot of the games used to be earlier in the day, but a lot of these are at night now. A lot of these are more in the evening. Um, like the Reds' first spring training game on the 28th is a 105 against Cleveland. And then one, and a lot of these are mountain, you know, whatever time, over in Arizona, but mm-hmm. still. So... I'm just saying, some of that's a little bit different. Look, I don't care. Look, spring training, it's spring training. Uh, I don't really care about how close the games are. I'm just excited to see the talent right. out on the field, and the Reds are going to have to prove that you know they're going to be a better hitting team this year. Um, I don't think you get all those answers in spring training. But oh, to no. me, at this point, I look at this damn window. I see all this snow. I just want something that's showing me that we're you know on the horizon of warm weather. And to me, that's always baseball. And spring training baseball always makes me feel better inside. So there you go. I was reading an article, and they said something about bullpen. Not bullpen, but closer by committee. Where are you at with that? I don't like it. I don't like the closer by committee. I think it's a lazy thing to do. I mean, look, this is why I don't like when baseball tries to be the like you have all these managers now trying to be the smartest man in the room if it ain't broke don't fix it you know mariano rivera is a hall of famer for a reason he's the best of all time for a reason it's because he had a role mm-hmm. mariano rivera would not be a hall of famer in today's baseball because well we might use him today but we're getting i don't know let's roll the dice all right let's see let's pick out of a hat who's going to go out the david bell approach because again this is where we talked the other day about the advanced analytics and the story that it tells it should be a tool. It should not be the way. Right. Uh, you should not, you know, it should not be as so robotic as David Bell whenever you have a situation where, well, when this happens, you do this. When this happens, you do this. And when that happens, you do that. And, and again, you should use these analytics that what the numbers are telling you. It should tell a story. Um, but I think your gut has to tell you, okay, overall, his, you know, man, he's hitting 212 on the season, but over the last 10 games, he's hitting 340. You let him. You let him hit. You mm-hmm. let him play through. You. I don't care. This is why I hate when we get to like July and August, and we're using the full season's worth of stats to justify whether we bat a guy or not. What are you doing for? I mean, it's just like in life. What have you done for me lately? Right. Mm-hmm. What have you done for me lately? And David Bell doesn't manage that way. And that when we talk about oh, managing a game with your gut, that's what the gut used to be. Yes, you have the numbers to tell a story, but what's your gut telling you? Well, common sense is telling you the kid's rolling right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the closer by committee thing, I think that's a lazy approach, and it's, a, it's, it's, it's an approach by teams who are cheap. It's an approach of they're real closers out there, and you don't want to go pay them. Now, the kid they just got from Washington that won the World Series a few years ago with them is pretty good. Not good now. He struggled the last couple of years. He's been hurt. But like they won't use him as a set closer. I forgot the reliever they got last year that they didn't even use. 
Because, again, it was just that I have no clue. They went so, when this happens, you do this. When this happens, you do that. Instead of just rolling out the talent letting the talent do their thing. Stop taking out pitchers in the fifth inning unless they need to be. Stop taking them out in the fourth inning. All of that. It, mean, it, it just drives me nuts. That's why you know, David Bell makes me want to turn off Reds games. He makes me want to turn off Reds games. And it's just, it's just, it's annoying because when we had him on the show when he first got hired, he talked all of this. Oh, no, analytics are important, but I'm a baseball guy. I call the, you know, I go with the game off my gut and blah, 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 blah. Okay. Where's that, where's that attitude at now, champ? Because that, that's, we haven't seen that once. I haven't seen him go with his gut once. In fact, the only time I like David Bell is when he's actually standing up for his players and going at the umpire and showing some kind of emotion. The only time I see emotion out of him is when he pops off on an umpire. That's the only time I've seen him show emotion is that. Other other time, he just has that dry, dull look on his face like, well, we've got to wait to see what the manual says to do now. You asked one question, and I gave you a 20-minute answer, so there's that. You talk about the analytics approach to baseball, but do you see a market correction where we do get baseball going back to its roots where it's off a of feel and off a of gut reaction of how the game is going? Because that's why I love the game when I was a kid. But like you said, when it's – I mean, anybody can do that if it's saying just read a piece of paper and go off of what the piece of paper tells you to do. Like, I don't think that's really managing – like. It's just reading a piece of paper and just spitting out what it tells you to do. I don't think that's really coaching your guys up and managing the situation. That's why Schlummer would always say, Coach Computer, because you're literally going off of what your iPad's telling you to do. Uh, oh, the iPad says, uh, when when this guy's up, you have to do this. You When this guy's pitching, you need to put this guy in. Like Michael Lorenzen, or, uh, not Lorenzen, but uh, uh, Jesse Winker. He's a prime example of, I get that he doesn't hit lefties well. But I would continue to let him hit lefties, especially early in the season. And it's like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Okay, he doesn't hit lefties well, so we're never going to let him face a lefty. Mm -hmm. But he's one of our best hitters. I am sorry, but you cannot be considered one of the team's best hitters if you have to be taken out of a game every time a lefty comes in. My thing is, is what do these guys do in the offseason? I would be in the, I mean, get in the cage and hit against, have a lefty throw to you the entire offseason. Figure it out. You're a damn pro. And you can't be considered the best, one of the best hitters on the team if you have to be taken out of a lineup every time a position, you know, a left-handed pitcher comes into the lineup. That drives me nuts um, as, as far as that goes. But to me, let them go up. You know, oh, the average show he can't hit a lefty. Well, he needs to learn, so he's going to face lefties all through spring training. Spring training, Winker. In fact, we're going to do the opposite. We're only going to put you in the lineup when there's a lefty on, and you're going to figure out how to hit damn lefties. That like, but the numbers. So he doesn't hit lefties well, so we never put him in for that. And it, like, how are you supposed to get better at that if you never face lefties? You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I think it's going to get a course correction because you got former players now, managers like Aaron Boone. He's the manager of the Yankees. Uh, Sandy Alomar was the manager of the, of the Cleveland baseball team last year when Tito was out and everything like that. And those guys really played the game, and they really went by the gut. So I think. Like we talk about all the time, like analyst is a tool, but that gut feeling, and I think they can get back to that gut feeling when you get more guys that have played the game, managing the guys and managing the the, the teams from like the early two thousands, everything. Once they like find themselves in roles to manage these teams around baseball, because at some point those guys are gonna tell the front office dudes like, look, man, this is how the game is truly played. This isn't played on a computer this is played on the field and played on how people are performing now not based off of like their whole length of their career like if a dude is on a hitting streak you don't take them out 
Like like you said a million and one times last summer when we was talking about the Reds, like when guys are rolling in the pitching and you just take them out just because, like, oh, man, the pitch count is high. Like, well, you're not only robbing the player of a moment, but you're robbing the fans too. Like if a dude has a no-no into the seventh and you literally take him out the game, what are you doing? Like this is his moment, his time to shine. And God forbid that there's fans there and you actually do it. Dude, they paid a lot of money, and they want to see something cool. Seeing a no-no is cool. So I, I really hope that if we get to a market correction where we can dial back on some of this analytical thinking. The reason it's not going to happen, Kev, is because there's so much money spent on an analytics department. I mean, like millions of dollars is spent on an analytics department. People that you know have literally their only job is to come up with as many stories to tell with the numbers and that's their job so there's too much money invested in that and you talked about Aaron Boone I remember when Aaron Boone was hired by the Yankees we had Tim Kirkshen on and Tim Kirkshen for you know being an older reporter you know he's realized that hey you have to embrace the analytics otherwise you're just it, the game's going to hurt you um, and he talked about Aaron Boone and Aaron Boone had no choice but to be an analytics guy like he's even an analytics guy uh, I can't sit there and w- say I watch 162 Yankees games to know that he does exactly what David Bell does but I don't I don't sense that other managers get ripped as much as David Bell I think that there's managers who who utilize it but then there's others that are the analytics David Bell lives and breathes by them and I, I think that too much of it can kill you, and that's exactly what's happened with the Reds over the last couple of years. Let's let's talk about those hitting woes last year. Mm-hmm. There's a lot, and Schlemmer and I have talked about this a million times. And and ball players I've spoken with, in fact, some former Reds I've even talked to have said, you you have to you have to have a role. You need to be the you know hitting the two spot. You need to hit the five spot. You need to be a leadoff guy. You need to know what you are. And if you don't know what you are, it's hard to get settled in and get comfortable in the plate. When one day you're leading off, and the next day you're hitting ninth, and one day you're hitting in the cleanup spot, and the next day you're hitting number two, uh, you have Joey Votto, who's not a good hitter anymore, and you continue to keep him in the top fourth of the lineup, which is for a guy that is so obsessed with the analytics, continues to keep Votto. You know, he ignores the, what the analytics are telling him about Votto. It drives me up the wall. But continuously not playing Mustakis in the same spot in the same spot in the lineup every day can hurt you. Castellanos the same thing. I think it impacts you know uh, Winker and Suarez and those guys. And the biggest blunder that they made was the Shogo Akiyama edition when they signed him. It was a big deal for one. It was a big name Japanese player that they were able to get the media coverage for that was awesome. And I, I'm a big, he was one of the best hitters, uh, you know, in that league over there. I mean, he was being compared to Ichiro. I mean, he, he's that good. You would not have, I mean, I think the Reds are ruining him because of how they're using him. He was brought over to be the Reds' leadoff guy. Mm-hmm. He was supposed to be the leadoff hitter. The Reds have been looking for a leadoff hitter. He was supposed to be the leadoff hitter that they hoped Billy Hamilton could have been. Billy Hamilton had the speed. He was exactly, I mean, he had the speed of a leadoff hitter. He had the tools of a leadoff hitter for if he can get on base and just let the two, three, and four guys do their thing. He, you know, Billy should have scored a lot of runs, which, by the way, he just signed a minor league deal with your Cleveland baseball team. So he's back in Ohio. Come on, man. Um, but. They bring Shogo Akiyama over. I remember the very first game of the regular season last year, which happened in like late July, uh, the 60-game season. Every, remember I told you, I'm so pumped for Shogo. He's my new favorite player. Mm-hmm. He was you fun to get that tattoo. He, he was fun to watch in spring <laughs> training. I was so pumped. And then he wasn't even in the lineup on opening day. I'm like, you spent all that money on him. You brought him over here to be your leadoff hitter. And don't tell me, oh, well, you know, he had a bad spring training, so he wasn't our leadoff hitter. Everyone had a bad spring training. No one, I mean, oh, you mean spring training from back in March? <laughs> it's July, you morons. Like, what do you mean? So, and then when they, so they didn't start him. They bring, they pinch hit him late in the game. And then he plays the next day, Kev, but he's not a leadoff hitter. He's hitting down at the bottom of the order. I'm like, what are you doing? 
Like this is, and then he never got comfortable. And then they put him in the 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 leadoff spot late in the season, and then he got comfortable, and then he started rolling. And gee, I wonder why that is. So it drives me nuts. There are things that David Bell does that you know when people talk about, oh man, Mustakas he underperformed. Castellanos didn't do this. Castellanos was actually one of their best hitters last year. It drives me nuts. I think David Bell really hurts this team when they try to get things going. It drives me up the wall. I'm going to try and be um, you know, optimistic heading into this season. Um, I think it's going to help. I think that the – here's the other thing, too, with why I think the Reds struggled last year. I think they were one of those impacted by, you know, spring training, six-month gap, season. Mm-hmm. Like, there was no – I mean, you're practicing at Great American Ballpark, but it's not the same thing. Right. They're going to get live in-game reps – for spring training here, not I think they did like one game with the Tigers in spring training last year, the, in July, like before the season started. You're going to get a full spring training. We just got the schedule today: thirty spring training games, or twenty nine or twenty eight spring training games. Twenty eight spring training games for these guys to get prepared for the hundred sixty game regular season. I think that's going to help big time. Going straight from spring training right into the regular season without that gap in between, because they he had a good spring. Shogo looked good in the plate in the spring, and apparently they didn't feel you know they weren't comfortable with him. But David Bell. He's a leadoff hitter. That's why you signed him. I mean, when they brought him in, that the Reds finally get their leadoff hitter, and then you don't even use him as a leadoff hitter. I just I don't understand it. Joey Votto's not a two uh, two spot hitter. He should be hitting at the bottom. I would love Joey Votto at the at the six or seven. I think he's perfect for the six or seven. I, I just don't get it. But we we shall see. The <laughs> bottom line is the lineup's still pretty dang good. We'll see, the lineup's still pretty dang good. For the Cincinnati Reds. Coming up here in hour number three, a little Valentine's uh, Day type of swing here. We're going to go look quarterback by quarterback. And we want to know, for everyone that's going to be celebrating Valentine's Day this weekend, we need to know these quarterbacks for these teams, how happy are they? How satisfied are they with their partner right now heading into Valentine's Day weekend? Their partner being their teams. You know, does, does Do these quarterbacks look at their team and, and love their team? Or are they just trying to get out of this relationship? But we're going to find out. Are these quarterbacks married to their team, or are they the side piece to the team? We're going to find out just how committed these teams are to these quarterbacks coming up here at the top of the hour, 5 o'clock. Daniel Cormier, that interview is up and loaded and ready to go. So head to head to your Apple iTunes, Google Play Store, download that and take a listen. UFC 258 tomorrow night, 10 o'clock, uh, the big one. We'll talk about that more coming up uh, later on. The J.J. Watt thing, I didn't get to all of that real quick. I want to follow up on that, Kev. Uh, Eric Pugh on Facebook says, Watt is why, is why I think of Watson like I do. Had a once-in-a-lifetime talent on the D-line like Watt, and he was surrounded by top talent on that defense. They had arguably the best wide receiver in the league as well, and guess what? Didn't win nothing. Now all of a sudden the whole narrative is Watson is a top-five franchise quarterback, and it's all the owner's fault. He's not wrong. He did have, I mean, he's, there's been great wide receivers in Houston. They've had great defenses in Houston. Um, but I don't think, how, how long has Watson been there? He hasn't been there long enough for four me to. Four years. Four? That's not long enough for me to. Look, I think that Watson didn't do enough when they, they had all those pieces at that time. And then Houston hasn't didn't do enough when they had Watson, if that makes sense at the end. I think that there's mutual blame. I think both sides are wrong here. I, I think both sides have, have fumbled this. Um, I don't, I mean, this is why I'm laughing too. And I heard them talk about it on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin this morning about, you know, yes, Deshaun's a top talent, but let's be clear, all these bad teams that are saying, let's get Deshaun, Houston was a bad team and they couldn't win with Deshaun. So mm-hmm. acting like Deshaun's just going to go take over at quarterback for a bad team and all of a sudden they're going to be good, the Jets are out. 
Like, the, the Jets make zero sense. The Jets wanting Deshaun Watson, fine, that may, may make you feel good about having a quarterback, but Houston has a quarterback, and look how dysfunctional they are. I, I just think that, no, Deshaun Watson is not, oh, send to a team and they're instantly good. I don't think that's the case. I think he needs a good situation, but to be fair, I think most do. Yeah. Uh, but I, look, I like Deshaun. I just don't think he's in the same category as Deshaun Watson or as uh, uh, Patrick Mahomes. But I see what he's saying. I think there's enough blame on both sides. I don't think both, you know, capitalized on what both had at the time. I mean, except he did get paid, so he wins that one. <laughs> I mean, he took his team to the playoffs three times, and I'm, when what Jared Goff? I mean, I didn't hear you praising him for taking his team to Super Bowls and everything else. I ain't got no problem with Jared Goff. I think he aight. He aight. He good. I mean, shoot, he did. A, I mean, he led his team to a Super Bowl. He did more. He's done more than Deshaun Watson for sure. For sure. He led his team to a Super Bowl, and in that season, he was great. He was great in that season, and he capitalized by cashing out to a great contract. I just think that everything that's going on in Houston, more and more stuff is coming out, and it's, it's quite alarming when, you know, your your face of the franchise, both your faces of the franchise, and veterans, and, you know, Andre Johnson are coming out talking about the new ownership. This isn't like the ownership this isn't Mr. McNair that owned the team when when Andre Johnson was there. This is the new one. This is his son. And I think there's a lot to say about when second generations get teams. Because we can look <laughs> Mike at Mike Brown's online too. <laughs> I, I really didn't mean to set you up like that, but I guess I did. That was excellent. I appreciate that. <laughs> but I mean you can look at everything that's going on with the Knicks in, in in previous years and now that James Dolan is taking a step back everything like that it's looking like they might have their stuff together everything like that but like second generational teams they they're not the same as you know their fathers that that bought these teams and scrapped and clawed and you know did all these business moves to make their team what it was like they don't don't have to do that so i think there's definitely something going on behind the scenes obviously everything that's going on with the they had what three gms over the last four years Obviously, Deshaun uh, is unhappy. You got Hopkins traded. You gave away all your picks. We've been in back and forth around the moon about it. There's something going on in the water with the Houston Texans that nobody wants to be there anymore. And But why sign a contract a year ago? Not even a year ago. We're less than a year removed. It's not like Houston just became dysfunctional overnight. That's why I just I don't. Get it. I don't get it. The Deshaun thing. Like, you can't, like, uh, for us regular folk, mm-hmm. I, you know, I have friends all the time. I tell them, if you hate your job, quit. I'm tired of hearing you bitch about it. Mm-hmm. Oh, you signed a contract extension. Cool. Don't don't complain to me about your job then because you're choosing to stay in a toxic environment. Then that's kind of way I am with Deshaun. I mean, you know, everyone's like, remember, they're people just like us. But then when we try to hold them to how we hold regular people, then everyone like you tells, oh, no, 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 you got to get your money. Got to get your money. Well, you got your money. Now be quiet then. If not, if you're not happy, you shouldn't have taken the money from them and you should have taken the money from someone else. But I just look at contracts as placeholders because we know people in the radio business who had contracts and something happened and eh. We don't. You don't work anymore. But what about my contract? We don't expect the companies to honor those contracts, but we expect the employees to honor those contracts. Yeah, that's what we have to experience as regular people. So why shouldn't we expect all Mister Deshaun Watson to no, do I'm, the I'm, same thing? But I look at I look at life at on all aspects in the same way. I'm not looking at how much money he makes versus how much money I make because I have a contract. It's all relative. It's all relative about what he makes versus what I make. You know, he's providing 
uh, service to them, just like I'm providing a service to Alpha Media. But relative money wise, it don't matter. Is the the simple principle is if a person signs a contract and the the place where he's employed terminates that contract, it's wrong. So how come but it's their they, business? They could do whatever they want. Like it's their, but it is. It's their business. We, no matter how, we always people try to gather together. We need to change that. The companies can't bully us around. You're fired, and you go find another business to complain about. No, like it's just that's how business is. It whether we like it or not. It's but not just because how, that's how something is doesn't mean it's right. Well, no, there's nothing right about even how radio works. We don't work in the, in the radio best. is great. No, radio is awesome. Listening. I'm very fortunate <laughs> to have the job I do. But to sit there and act like our industry doesn't have these very, you know, you know. Uh, disheartening ways of handling things. I mean, that's the reality of it. But again, I am not going to sympathize with athletes who have the same challenges they face in their day-to-day lives like we do, except they do it on a much grander stage with a lot more dough on the line. And I would love that, you know, I would kill to make a bad decision like he did signing for $350 million or whatever the hell it was that he signed uh, with the uh, Houston Texans. You know, if my friends make a mistake, they're making like 75, 80 grand. They're, they're, they're making that mistake. This dude, you know, is what it is. But it's all relative. Money is relative. Money, money is relative about what you do and what you provide to the company. Uh, Michael Green says uh, Deshaun didn't complain until after the season. Once they traded Hopkins, didn't do a good job hiring a coach. But no, 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 they Hopkins traded Hopkins last summer. last last summer. Uh, there were more parts going out than coming in. The dysfunction started last season, and this past off season there was the talks of the Texans. Oh man, you know Deshaun, he ain't gonna come back. And then all of a sudden he signs this mega deal before the season starts. So that's why I'm saying is as bad as what he's trying to convince everyone that Houston is. There was a week before the season started that he just felt like it was the happiest. It was like Candyland. It was like Disney World. It was the happiest place on earth. And now he wants everyone to feel sorry for him. You know what? I hope he ends up with the Jets. <laughs> I don't, don't send him to a winner so that he can get his way and then everyone else try to do the same thing. Nope. Got no trade con, uh, clause in his contract. Shouts out to his agent. Uh, shouts out to the team who doesn't have to trade him either. So, yeah, I I'm mean, just saying. But like, I'm just saying. Like like the these, team. these things like that further let you know that they don't know what they're doing because they actually gave up gave a player some type of leverage when normally the teams always have the leverage. And then they release. But then teams then are they, horrible. If they don't give players leverage, it's, oh, they're bullying the players. And no. they give the players the leverage, and then it works against them, and then you wonder why no one gives those players the leverage. And then they release their greatest player of all time when they could have attempted to trade him. Maybe they didn't or not going to be able to trade him, but they don't even attempt to trade him, so you don't even get anything for him. So this is further evidence that they don't know what they're doing. Look, I don't think they were looking to get anything for him. That was a cap, that was a cap dump. I mean, But you can try. Ya. You can try before you just go ahead and release them. You don't even try? You don't even see if somebody's he willing was on to take the way. on that money he, he, for there, one year? The reason this wasn't a big deal in Houston today that he got released is because, really, this was supposed to happen. Everyone knew that he wasn't going to be returning next season anyways in Houston. Yes, they could have got, got something for him. I don't think he's worth a first or a second rounder. So. Yeah, but, I mean, anything, anything. But I think people are just looking for anything to rip on Houston for right now. Deshaun's not the victim here. I don't. I'm just. I'm just saying he's not the victim. That there's victims. Uh, everyone plays a role in this. I just. I don't feel bad for Deshaun Watson. I just don't. Like you signed the deal. I'm not saying you have to stay, but don't try to convince me that it's that bad there when just not even a year ago you thought it was good enough to sign a contract with. Him. Not saying you have to stay, but don't bitch as much as what you're doing. I don't I think he said anything. 
Oh, he's throwing his little tantrum. He's doing what he's doing what high school girls do. Oh, I'm going to take you out of my profile picture. Oh, I'm going to block you on social media. <laughs> oh, I'm going to be passive aggressive. I'm going to put cryptic things on. I'm like, my, when? I have, when my is, stepsister does this? this all the time. Huh? When has he done this? That's all he's that's all he's doing on Twitter and social media. Everything. Well, I don't follow the young man, so I wouldn't know. That's why I'm asking you. There you go. <laughs> See? Kid or no. <laughs> all right. Hour three next. Don't go anywhere. So interesting news that just came out of the world of college football just about 15 minutes before the show started today. Uh, this does impact the Ohio State Buckeyes a tad. It's a quarterback transfer. Really? Not Ohio State's quarterback, though. Oregon Ducks quarterback Tyler Shaw or Show, whatever the hell his name is. Uh, you know, he started all seven games in 2020, uh, you know, but he's moving for the Oregon Ducks, but he's moving on as a grad transfer. Uh, so Oregon, just since Justin Herbert left, really, you know, not uh, we don't know who the next heir apparent is there in Oregon as far as that goes. Like, we knew when Trevor Lawrence left Clemson, DJ Uyagawale, there we go, finally said it perfectly, <laughs> transitioned perfectly. You know, you kind of knew what was next for them. Although you kind of don't know what's next for Ohio State, but you do. You know who the guys are. Oregon right now really struggling. There might be a USC right now. You know, ever since Sam Darnold left USC, it's been tough for them to really get it right. You know, JT Daniels worked out slightly, but he transfers. He's at Georgia, and he's, you know, playing real well for Georgia. In fact, Georgia has a ton of expectations heading in because of the stability from JT Daniels at quarterback. So USC, Oregon, others, you know, it's interesting to see how this pans out. I know USC has Slovis, um... You know, he was all right last year. He was pretty good as a true freshman, but, you know, that was kind of the reason Daniels transferred because Slovis taken off as a freshman. So he's coming into his, I guess, his second sophomore year with everybody getting a free year eligibility. I know that Anthony Brown, I believe his name is, yes. uh, transferred from Boston College last year. So, I mean, I, I would assume he's in the driver's seat to – Beat a quarterback. Yeah, Anthony Oregon Brown. Dogs. Yeah, they lost in Oregon. They lost like 34 uh, 17 in the PlayStation Fiesta Bowl yes, uh, to yes, Iowa sir. State. Um, you know, with Matt Campbell, the greatest coach of all time, apparently. Uh, I've never bought the Matt Campbell thing. Every time, I, oh, Alabama's, the job's open. Oh, Matt Campbell. I mean, Ohio State's open. Oh, Matt Campbell. Stay at Iowa State. Anyways. Um, <laughs> But he completed seven to nine passes for 79 yards and an interception. So that's your quarterback. So, you know, don't worry. No more Sean Wade. So they might have a secondary that can actually, you know, stop this quarterback. So we shall see uh, what happens. Now, you are on one this uh, segment. You're taking shots at everybody. Look out, Taking shots at a young Anthony Brown. Taking shots at Sean Wade. Who else are you taking shots at in the last 30 seconds? Mm, I could do a lot of damage in 30 seconds. That's what she said. Anyways, um, my point is about all this is, look, I we think Oregon is this big non-conference matchup for Ohio State, but how big is it actually? I mean, we there's a lot of time between now and next college football season, but I think we're just looking at, you know, a premier program from a Power 5 conference. But overall, I don't, I mean, I look, I don't look at Oregon as this big non-conference game for Ohio State. It's a must-win. you got to win these non-conference matchups. It's a good one to have on the schedule. I'd rather watch Ohio State-Oregon than Ohio State-Miami of Ohio or Ohio mm-hmm. State-Bowling Green. Um, but I'm not just saying this because of this quarterback transfer, but, man, these Pac-12 schools, they need to figure it out. I- I'm getting impatient with that conference. What is going on over there? Like, you have so much talent over there. There's really no excuse. And it's not just, like, one or two teams. It's the conference as a whole. I just don't get what's going on over there on the West Coast in the Pac-12. I, I really don't. I mean, to be honest, if you take the you know Ohio State out of the Big Ten, they look chaotic at times, too. I mean, That's what ever, I was just about to say. Have you ever thought about if, like, if Alabama left the, the SEC, 
that's still the premier conference in college football. If Ohio State leaves the Big Ten, what's, let's take Ohio State out of the Big Ten. Pac-12, Big Ten, which conference is better? Big Ten. Still, with Penn State and, and Michigan, right? But not much better, but better. Penn State and Michigan are still better than they're, they're performing. I would put Michigan in there. I would say Penn State and Wisconsin before I would say anything. And Wisconsin's about taken a step back too over the last couple of years. They haven't been your typical Wisconsin team since the mid 2010s, um, you know. But yeah, like the Big Ten would be a met, but the Pac-12 is a disaster right now, and it's it's uncalled for. You got you have Oregon, you have USC. UCLA should be better than what they are. I, I just don't get it. There's way too much talent over on the West Coast. I mean, when we in the East Coast brag about all the time, maybe that's what it is. All the talent is leaving the West Coast and coming to play for Alabama. They're coming to play for Ohio State. And those that, you know, 20 years ago, all that talent stayed over there. Yeah, I mean, you that's, look at, the, the, those guys never left California. Yeah, you look at Najee Harris, a kid from Oakland. You don't imagine him leaving the state of California to come all the way to Alabama to play college football. For, I mean, he was in school for four years. You know what I'm saying? So, in years past, he's going to be a USC Trojan. But I equate a lot of this to the college football playoff. And because now we have is win it all or you're nothing mentality that is infiltrated college football. So now the is is really the have is beyond the haves and have nots. It used to be the haves and have nots, but now it's it's really Ohio State, Alabama. Clemson world and that's just how it is right now and there used to be a day where like all right man we actually thought that Wisconsin could jump up and bite Ohio State but in reality the situation now if Ohio State loses to Wisconsin we're going to throw a hissy fit and say that they're, they're not on our level and it's not the SEC is this big bad monster it's Alabama that's this big bad monster because these other teams they are right. they are right because Everybody's going to say SEC fans are going to talk about, oh, man, LSU just won a national championship, Joe Burrow, and they had the big best offense since sliced bread and everything like that. But it was 10 years before you were got another one. Another one. And then uh, 10 years before that. So you're a program every 10 years? Is that what it is? Or we can talk about Georgia, 1983. You weren't born in 1983. You know what I'm saying? So that's the last time they've been on the big stage. But see, that's why I don't believe, to your point, I don't. People keep blaming the college football playoff, but do you think that if you expanded the college football playoff, that that talent is going to start going back to those schools? Like Texas can't get a good coach. USC hasn't been able to get that elite coach since Pete Carroll left. Um, you know, Ohio State went from Trestle to Urban Meyer. So, of course, they kept rolling. It's not like, you know, the rich keep getting richer. It's that the rich can't seem to figure it out. Like, I blame USC. I don't think, you know, too many excuses, I think, are being made for these programs who aren't, you know, living up to expectations. Oh, in the playoff, all the talent goes there. Well, that's your f- problem to figure out. Uh, yeah, for I mean, sure. If Ohio, I mean, Ohio State, Alabama... If they could figure it out, why can't you figure You're USC. Why can't you figure it out? Like, I don't feel bad for USC. That That's your problem. UCLA, they've always had USC to worry about taking mm-hmm. talent. but So I'm not going to put them in that comfort. But UCLA, they should not, or uh, USC should not be losing the talent that they are. And even Texas. Texas isn't not getting talent because, oh, you know, the college football playoff. Texas isn't getting talent because there hasn't been a coach there since Mac Brown that anyone trusts and feels like there's a national championship caliber program there. Um, you know, But to be clear, that, that program that's why was that headed talent. to a mountain when Mac Brown was there. 
Like his last like four years, they were uh, Alamo Bowl team. They weren't playing for the big prize either. Well, still, I mean, clearly the problem isn't him because he takes over North Carolina and they're doing just fine. So I'm just saying, like, <laughs> the bottom line is, is like, I don't feel bad for Texas. You were the face of the state of Texas when it comes to college football, and you're letting talent slip out left and right. Um, I applaud Texas for going after Urban Meyer, by the way. Um, I thought that made a lot of sense. I thought they should have, but Urban, you know, I, I feel like Urban's not as competitive. He's not a, he doesn't have that killer instinct anymore. The fact that Ohio State's why he wouldn't take a college job, I like lost respect for him for that. I'm like, that's soft. You you are a soft individual. Where's that? You know, how can you be a true winner like Nick Saban? Oh, he don't care. You know, if if he left and retired from Alabama and got the itch to coach again, he would come right back into college and he would go pluck everything he could from Alabama because that's why he's the greatest of all time and that's why Urban Meyer's just eh. He's just eh? He's just eh. So I, I'm going to be defending Urban lost, Meyer now? He's eh because I'm I, normally the Urban Meyer basher. The greatest coaches are the ones that are cutthroat when it comes to trying to do everything you can to win. And I'm not talking about cheating. I'm talking about, we'll worry about friendships later. You know, we'll worry about friendships later. But Urban Meyer, you, you didn't take a coaching job because, oh, I didn't want to take Mariotti from the Buckeyes. And, oh, man, I just I couldn't do that to Ryan Day. He's just so cute, the Papa John's-looking guy. He's just so adorable. I couldn't do that to them. So he gets the job at the Jacksonville Jaguars. And then again, loyalty. I'm going to go take this racist coach from Iowa over here because I can't take the real guy I want because I'm just so loyal to the Buckeyes and Mariotti and blah, 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 blah. It's soft. I lost respect for Urban Meyer. I want the cutthroat guy that is going to go. I, you know what? I would have respected him so much, Kev, if he would have just slammed the doors open at the Woody Hayes Center and said, "You, you, and you, let's go." Kerry Combs, let's go. Mariotti, let's go. I mean, wipe some clean Ohio house. State fans would have been packing Kerry Combs bags, and, and that's fine. <laughs> uh, but you know that. Kerry Combs and see we're so fickle because and not no pun intended. Shouts out to Coach Fickle. What's up, man? Yeah, and Urban, like you stay at Cincinnati. Um, so <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, you want that defense fixed? They might want to dial him up. Oh uh, well, you know if he was so good, then he never mind. Okay, so <laughs> point is, this dude. I don't know why I'm in this mood now. You are in a mood, man. I don't know what happened, man. We were off to such a great show, and now you're in a Kenner mood. So let a Kenner continue. mood. I would love to <laughs> trademark that, but no, I'm serious though. Like if. Um, I mean, I wanted that cutthroat guy. And if Buckeye fans get mad at that, who? I mean, so be it. Like, I don't care if Buckeye fans get mad. I'm really bummed that Urban Meyer, I would have respected the hell out of him. And I think the buzz about him going to the NFL was is there already. But I think it would have been even bigger. I think if Urban would have showed that cutthroat mentality of, yeah, listen, OH, baby, I believe the scarlet and gray, but me being loyal to you does nothing for me right now. Mm-hmm. That that's why, and the, I'm I'm going back to our conversation from earlier in the show. But that that's all I'm saying. I I just I thought that was a weak move. I thought it was a sign of weakness. Nick Saban wanted to have done that. Nick Saban is a guy that looked at a veteran quarterback in the national championship game and said, "We're sitting your ass for a freshman." I love those cutthroat guys. I don't like these guys that are so hugging and out, so worried about people's feelings and stuff. No, coach to win, coach to win, and then you don't have to have a fan base pretending that you're Alabama. You actually could be Alabama. <laughs> so fix college football. OH. How would you? How would you fix college football then? I don't think it's broken. Mm. Well, I don't. Well, here's how I'd fix it, and it will never happen. We need to stop calling the MAC a D1. A D we need to stop calling them. D, they're not D1. Um, the the lowest I would consider even competitive with the big Power Five schools is the American Conference, and you know how I feel even about the American Conference. We need to stop. I mean, if we're, I, I don't like the hypocrisy of people in college football when what's well, not fair? It's not fair for the little guys. Bowling Green is just as much of a little guy as Cincinnati. 
So if you're going to fight for Cincinnati to get in the college football playoff, why are we totally ignoring that Bowling Green will never be a college football playoff team? Miami of Ohio with Big Ben and take the three best Steelers he's played with and bring him, rewind back to college. They would not be a college football playoff team. So I think Ooh, we need a, Antonio Brown on one side, Heinz Ward on the other. I like my chances. So, <laughs> so my, my point is, is that I, I don't like the hip hop. You know, we got to change the playoff for the little guy, the Bearcats. I'm just using them as an example. Bowling Green's a little guy. Miami of Ohio's a little guy. They're a little guy. So to me, to, to change up everything for the American Conference while still outcasting a good chunk of your Division One schools, I just don't get it. And then for and I've heard Keith Byers say, well, and he's agreed with me about the you know realigning the D one whole you know mantra of it. But Bowling Green, you think that the MAC is going to go for that? You think the MAC's going to be like, oh, we would love to go f- to be you know considered mm-hmm. not D one? No. That's that's how they make their money, right? Like, but they're not really D one. I don't care. You, they're they're D one, but they're not D one. How can you be D one when you step foot out on the field with Ohio State and look at the gap in talent? Now, that, to be fair, Rutgers has a gap in talent uh, between Ohio State and themselves. But you know what I mean? Like, I I think they to, football is a there was no there's no such thing as a fair playoff model for the playoff or for for college football, Kev. There's just not, and it's not meant to have sixty eight teams like basketball. I don't think that there's a playoff out there that's going to appease everybody. If you expand to eight, Kev, that how does that help the MAC? How does that help Bowling Green? How does that help the Mountain West? How does that you know what I'm saying? Like how does that help those those? I, I it just doesn't. I think college football can be fixed with something that is very going to be off the wall for a lot of people to hear. But I think they should reduce the number of scholarships. I think that it is currently at 85. I think if you reduce scholarships to 75 or maybe even 70 then you will get the athletes more spread out i actually like that i don't i never i don't think i've ever heard you say something that i'm like that's a good point kev that it happened today (laughs) (laughs) thank you good job coming up with something no i'm just joking (laughs) but i i actually really agree with that keep finish your point but there were i remember back in the 90s I believe it was the Nebraska teams of uh, the Tommy Frazier teams and everything like that. They literally would have guys, you know, this was before the whole five-star and everything like that, parade All-American guys who never sniffed the field until they're like junior and senior year. Like, it's – and when they would be blowing teams out 85 to 3, 85 to 10, running the wishbone, it's because they had a – abundance of talent and those days they had 100 and 110 scholarship players so you just racked up talent all over the place now you're in the middle of nebraska so you're getting you know your best old lineman in in the country from nebraska and wisconsin and iowa and then they're going down to florida to pick up a tommy frazier they're going out to california to pick up another running back and everything like that so i think if you reduce the number of scholarships so say Ohio State, they can't get uh, freaking five, ten, five-star receivers because there's not enough space. The cap space is eliminated. So that in turn makes somebody like, man, they don't have any space for me at Ohio State. Man, I really love it in Ohio. I'm going to go to UC or I'm going to go to Indiana or whomever. They would go somewhere else as opposed to just stockpiling all this talent and keeping it and holding it until it's their turn. I think if you reduce the number of scholarships, you will open it up for more teams to be better, and then you will get more competitive football. Because I don't look at it as in, like, oh, man, the college football is ruining the game. I just want good football. I want a competitive situation because 
the worst thing in the world for me is to watch a championship game and it's not competitive. Like, obviously, I'm an Ohio State fan. I want them to win. But at least when they lose, if they lose, I want it to be a good game. This championship game wasn't entertaining. It wasn't a good game after Alabama scored 28. But it I was a wrap. Was, I mean, no, no, no. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm not saying that has to do with that. I'm just saying, like, when you have more competitive balance throughout the college football landscape and everybody has a chance to get a player, and you're not saying, like, oh, man, you guys have to go there to TCU because to make it even, to make it fair, you're just reducing the amount of players that a Texas or a Texas A&M can stockpile. So that's where I'm looking at because it, it hasn't always been 85 scholarships. There were times where it was 100 scholarships for, per team in college football. Prime example here. These three quarterbacks were at Georgia. Or this, JT Daniels is at Georgia now. He was at USC before. But mm-hmm. Justin Fields and Jake Fromm. Mm-hmm. You probably you're gonna have less of those situations, right? You're gonna have less now. That one's I shouldn't use that as an example. Justin Fields came in as a freshman. Jake, I mean, you're always gonna have a freshman that comes in probably at an awkward time of yeah. Hey, man, listen, you're next up though, so I'm gonna take that off my list. That's a that's a normal situation to find yourself in. You already have an established quarterback that's well within his four year three year run, uh, and then in comes a Justin Fields. By the way, I don't rip. Ohio State for not playing Joe Burrow back in the day, just like I don't rip Georgia for not playing Justin Fields. And uh, ultimately, how much better? I mean, Justin Fields talent-wise better than Jake Fromm, but ultimately, did he accomplish more than Jake Fromm? No, he didn't. They're about the same um, for how that goes. And depending on what Justin Fields does in the NFL, they might ultimately it might be a wash as far as that goes. But Cardell Jones, mm-hmm. J.T. Barrett, Dwayne Haskins, Joe Burrow. Uh, you look at Jalen Hurts, Tua, Mac Jones. That happens at Ohio State. That happens at Alabama. Um, that happens way too much across the country where you have, for instance, Jalen Hurts, Tua, Mac Jones. You probably have two of those three that should have been at Ohio or that in Alabama. One of them could have been elsewhere starting. But you could stockpile quarterbacks. Right. Alabama could stockpile quarterbacks. But you know what? You really need defensive linemen. You really need defensive backs. And if you only had fifty scholarships versus eighty, you might not be back you know, you might not be, you know, Having as many star- stars at different positions backpiled, or what's that called? Uh, I don't stockpiled. know. Stockpiled. Yeah, there we go. Backpiled. What the hell? <laughs> stockpiled. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know what? That's a great point. Of all the, there's so much talent stockpiled at these programs that could be playing elsewhere. When all the best players in the country are funneled to just a select few schools, and mm-hmm. it's not just because of the playoffs, folks. We need to stop blaming the playoff for that. It's what you just it's the It's the scholarship allotment. If you eliminate the scholarship allotment or reduce it to 50, and I think it should be 55 or 60, let's say 60, I think coaches have to be a lot more selective with what they have in the chamber um, at different positions and stop stockpiling talent at certain positions. If you are Ohio State, you don't need to stockpile quarterbacks. You know that you're good enough that, hey, right now we have these two for the next two or three years, and then we'll get another one to come into the next year and a half and, and have them ready. But they, I mean, look at the situation the Buckeyes are in now. They have four elite quarterbacks coming in over the next two years. Mm-hmm. They're going to be sitting on three, they're going to be sitting on two to three elite quarterbacks that could be playing elsewhere and rising the, you know, the talent level of college football. So I'm with you. I think that. So I think it's more of that, Kev, than the the playoff. Yeah, that's, people need that's to stop blaming I'm, the playoff. That's it's where that. I'm at with it because I mean I forget who was it was it. Yeah, obviously it's Alabama because it's always Alabama. Um, I believe it was a 16 recruiting class, right? That had uh, Calvin Ridley. Had everybody, yeah. Uh, um, 
Devontae Smith, um, Jalen Waddle, and I'm missing one. So all four of those dudes, all four of them are going to be first-round picks. Like, that's insane. And it's all kudos to Alabama and their recruiting because, I mean, if it was Ohio State, I'd be jumping over the moon too. But I'm just saying, like, if you have a cap, maybe one or two of them dudes go to name your school, Mississippi State. I don't know. Just go somewhere else. It makes them. Does it necessarily help the Mac? No. I think it, I think it will. Over like time. A, a trickle It'll down. funnel over the years. I sound like Reaganomics with trickle down theory. Uh, when they but, go high, you go low. <laughs> but, I mean, like, I, I truly <laughs> When they go low, you go high. No, I like the other way. When they go low, take it to the flow. That's where I'm at with it. But, anyway. But, yeah, like, I think that will really help college football and, and make it more competitive. And it's not anything taken away from what Alabama or Ohio State or Clemson are doing. I just think it will be more entertaining to watch because when you have more people invested in watching your game, it only can grow the game. Because you can't, I know tons of people watching the Ohio State, Alabama, but majority of people are watching that game are hate watching because there's only Ohio State fans and there's only Alabama fans tuned in to watch those teams win a game. It's a ton of hate watching going on out there. But if you have more competitive games throughout the season leading up to your championship game, that can only make your sport better. All right, folks, uh, we'll be back in just a few moments. Urban Meyer. Uh-oh. I want to get back into that. Uh, the the decision to bring in Doyle, the the strength and conditioning coach from Iowa that was let go due to being physical with players and being racially insensitive. Yeah, you, you know, again, just a, an ugly background for Doyle that Urban Meyer should have learned his lesson the first time uh, at Ohio State. Um, when he had an assistant coach that had baggage, and he kept that coach anyways, and that baggage came back to bite him in the ass. And now Urban Meyer did not learn from his previous mistakes because he's put himself right back in that situation. Let's discuss that. We'll be back in a moment. More of the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash next. There are many ways to catch the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash on 1410 ESPN Radio weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. You can catch it live right here on 1410 Wing AM or you can stream the show at wingam.com. But now we have another way that you can take in the show. You can now watch the Justin Kinner Show 